Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. Oh, yeah. Wake up, Indiana. Thunder Island's got the feel. Wake up to Thunder Island where you feel it for real. There was nothing better during, oh, I don't know, late 80s, early 90s. If you were someone my age in central Indiana in the summertime, maybe either getting ready to go back to school or to kick off the summer or end of Little League, to go to Thunder Island, which was the best go-karts, the best water slides. They had a putt-putt course. The, the go-karts were the best. Batting cages. But Thunder Island was also known, gentlemen, before it became Thunder Island, it was simply known and still is colloquially, I can't say that word, colloquially, is that right? How do you <laughs> say that, know. James? I don't know. Colloquially. Uh, thank I'm, you. I'm a speller it, and a writer. It is still in that way known as 3J, which is exactly what this show is today because I'm driving in and I thought to myself, we got James, Jimmy, and Jake. 3J, baby, for the next three hours. One of you guys can be the go-kart track, one of you can be the water slide, and one of us will be the putt-putt course. I will take the go-karts. All right, Jimmy? I'll take the putt-putt course. Okay, cool. I'll be the water slide. I'll be the water slide because Shannon Doherty filmed a movie where the actual end of the movie took place atop the water slides at Thunder Island 3J, and that area now is the southern border of... Grand Park in Westfield, which is where the Colts began training camp, and we will find out over the next four hours which players that showed up to training camp actually will finalize their spot, at least for now, on the roster of the 2023 Indianapolis Colts. Good afternoon to you. My name is Jake Query. You just heard Jimmy Cook saying the proper word and pronunciation of Jimmy. Say it again. Colloquially. Wow, that is impressive. That is impressive. <laughs> uh, James Boyd, who you also hear frequently on this program from The Athletic joining us. Uh, James, let's begin with this. I mean, right out of the box. Uh, those players that we now know, of course, again, today, 4 o'clock is the roster deadline. Mike Strawn has been released, right? Yes. Amari Rogers, and, and has been waived or released. I'm not sure which he falls under. Jake Funk, also no longer. Th- those are three that we know of. Before we get to other names or other possibilities, just because I, oftentimes, James, when I do radio, I think to myself, what things, if I'm a listener, would confuse me that need to be clarified, which is a lot because of my lack of <laughs> intellect, okay? But the difference, because this is, I think, one of the most common questions on days like today, the difference between waived and released. And that difference is... If you were a player who is a, is it four-year veteran of the NFL? I believe it's one through your your first three seasons. Okay. You, you're waived. And then you go to waivers. Correct. And another team can possibly pick you up. Now, if you're released, that means you're like basically a veteran in the NFL, and they cut your contract, and you can just sign wherever you want to go immediately. So you have the right of... So if you are really if you're a veteran, one of the perks of being a veteran is that if a team decides that they want to break up, you are allowed to immediately start seeing other people. Whereas <laughs> if you are somebody who is not yet a veteran and you are your team breaks up with you, you then have to go on tender and every team is allowed to swipe. 
Pretty much, yeah. It's a good analogy. That's the best way to say it, right? <laughs> it is. It's true. Um, okay, so let's go through from – I mentioned those names. Mike Strawn, Amari Rogers, Jake Funk. Jonathan Taylor's name has not yet been publicized in any sort of definitive answer. Are there other players that I'm missing that you have seen that we now know are not part of the roster? I'm trying to think. There were a few yesterday, but there hasn't been anybody notable, for example. I mean – not to be disrespectful, but those guys we expected to sort of be let go. I know there was another cornerback, I believe, Joel Erickson, Andy Starr reported. Um, and to me, the big names today are JT and, to a lower extent, Molly Cox. He's the guy, the veteran, who maybe doesn't have as much staying power as he had last year because it doesn't feel great for him right now. And I say that because of the comments we heard from Shane Steichen and – you know, talking to the offensive coordinator, Jim Bob Cooter, when you ask them what a player does or what they mean to the team and they say, oh, he's a great leader, I'm like, ah. Yeah, yeah. You know. It's like in the NCAA tournament, some senior, like, he's a coach on the floor, <laughs> right? You never want to get described as that as a player. Right. Seriously. I mean, it just means that, oh, you know, you know what you're doing, but you don't do it well enough for us to really consider having you. And then you um, contrast that with the way Drew Ogletree talked you know, I asked him in a roundabout way, how does it feel to be sort of safe? And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm going to chill and relax. And it's like, you know, this is a guy who prior to training camp probably didn't feel that way. I think the thing that's fascinating about the tight end room, James Boyd, is the following. And that is that you have realistically five guys, right? You got Moali Cox, you got Ogletree, you've got Kylan Granson, you've got uh, Will Mallory. Who's the fifth one I'm missing here? Did, you say, did I say Jelani Woods? Jelani Woods, thank mm-hmm. you. So, of those five, I don't know that there is – it is equally challenging to select which of those five is the clear-cut, like, separator from the pack. Agreed. Just as it's equally challenging to determine which of those five is the dog that's not carrying his weight. It's a pretty, in my opinion, like – there's not a huge margin of what you're going to get in terms of production on any of those five guys. Now, they might each kind of do different things, mm-hmm. but their level of cementing themselves is pretty interchangeable when you look at it. So as a result of that, somebody who could certainly be a contributor is probably going to get left out of that room unless they go with five. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the things me and KB talked about, Kevin Bowen, where he's I think he's got five on his 53-man roster, or at least he's thought about it. I thought about it as well, and you just wonder if they feel that if they don't sign those five, one of them could get claimed off waivers and be gone or get, you know, in Moali Cox's case, get picked up right away, where you would like to keep them on the practice squad. But I I think that a guy like Will Mallory, you know, the the rookie draft pick, might be a little too good to cut. Correct. He's and shown just enough, right? Exactly. Yeah. And then I was going to say, if he hadn't done anything in that last preseason game, then maybe you feel a little bit more comfortable. But he went out there and had two catches, I believe, for 43 yards and, and looked pretty good and looked healthy. And so it makes you wonder, if you're another team, hmm, do we take a flyer on him as well and kind of sneak in and, and steal him away from the Colts? So that is definitely something they have to weigh today. But I will say that I do think that the roster cut down day to day has been easier than in years past because, to me, there's just not much talent on this team at a lot of different areas. I would agree with that. I mean, you know, I I have read other places. Stephen Holder, who we had on yesterday, was saying that, he, you know, he. it's interesting because I remember 
this time a year ago interviewing Chris Ballard and asking Chris Ballard what area of it was the infamous I have a college degree comment for those that used to listen to the morning show or well still do listen to the morning show but listen to it when I was on there um we were interviewing Chris Ballard and I was mentioning James that I was finishing college a year ago and I said I have one class where I've got this final assignment that I know what the assignment is but I just can't grasp how to start it like I I just I couldn't conceptualize what needed what I needed to do and I asked Chris Ballard what is that for you what assignment of this football team is that for you in your job description um and then later in the conversation Kevin Bowen said Chris do you feel pressure in your job and he said I I don't because I have a college degree so I'll be able to get another job I thought, oh, okay, but but um, <laughs> I'm about to say I got a college degree. I still feel pressure at my job, right? Though. So, but but all of that to be said, the area that he said that he feels pressure, or that he just couldn't, or not feels pressure, but that he couldn't grasp it, grasp his head around, was building depth, and that that was one thing. And I appreciate his transparency. I mean, you know, he's a pretty honest guy, and he just said, look, building depth on a roster is the hardest thing in the NFL. And it looks like that challenge continues to kind of elude him a little bit because this is a, does not appear to be a roster with a lot of depth. No, not in my opinion. And I think that it's a reflection of them sort of joining a new era. You have to figure out what you have in Anthony Richardson, obviously. But I think why they we haven't seen a lot of roster additions. Now, I do think they should upgrade the offensive line. We'll probably see some moves this week on the waiver wire to just address some of that those depth issues because those are the ones that really affect your team and, and your commodity and Anthony Richardson. But beyond that, I think they've sort of accepted this is going to be a rough season. We only want to see progress from really one player and let everything else kind of figure itself out. If they had an established quarterback, and, and that's not a knock on the Colts, but we know that they are – they're rebuilding, right? They cleared the Etch-A-Sketch. They're back turning the knobs for the first time, right? And so the Etch-A-Sketch is clean, and the portrait has yet to be has yet to be drawn, and <laughs> Anthony Richardson's hands are on both knobs putting it together. And they know that, right? If they had, right now, if the Colts quarterback was uh, Marcus Mariota, or if the Colts quarterback was, I'm not going to say Matt Ryan because – I mean, I saw Michelangelo's David last year, which meant that I saw statues on back-to-back weeks because then I went to a Colts game when I got home, right? But even Carson Wentz, if that was the Colts quarterback, would they even be contemplating keeping five tight ends? Or do they feel like that is a cupboard that they need to keep stocked because the tight end position is going to be particularly important in both the protection and the passing security blanket of rhythm short yardage passing for Anthony Richardson. I think that's a fair assessment, but I also think that they're in a position where they can kind of take that risk in general because they don't have an established team. They don't have an established quarterback. So to me, like you said, if your priority is protection, you do want to make sure you keep around a guy like Molly Cox, who, you know, hasn't been great throughout his career in here in Indianapolis, but is still probably one of their better blockers as a tight end. And so I get it. Everyone wants like the sleek and sexy running tight end, which is great when you're, you know, Travis Kelsey and stuff like that. But it also helps when your quarterback stays upright. And as great as Anthony Richardson is and what he showed throughout the preseason, his elusiveness, his ability to run and lower the shoulder, all those things, you still need to make sure he's not running for his life every play. But to me, the biggest thing is that they've accepted we're not going to be good. They're never going to say it out loud. Chris Ballard is going to say that. But they're not going to be good. And that's where... And it's a perfect segue, James, 
into the Jonathan Taylor situation because I've said this a thousand times. I think I've said it with you when we've had you on and, and, and we've been doing interviews with you. I don't dispute or discredit Jonathan Taylor's ability as a running back at all. I think he's one of the five best in the league. He is the unfortunate circumstance of two different things. Number one, I, I use I don't know if you know this or not, James, but I, I use bad analogies a lot, right? Okay, okay. <laughs> in about 2007, 2006, in that era, everybody's going out getting a Hummer, a Humvee. Yeah, I remember those. Right? Everybody had one. They're like, these are the greatest cars ever you can drive. I mean, literally, it's like they, they the military has them because they can drive through the entire deserts and like climb over mountains and over the pyramids. They're unbelievable. They're, they're the greatest cars ever. Everybody was buying one. They're cool. They were sleek. You know, they were, they were macho. They were literally like the William Rass jeans of vehicles, right? And then, and so everybody, so all the marketing was about that, and so all the everybody's coming out with big, bad, bulletproof SUVs, and then gas went to four fifty a gallon, <laughs> and all of a sudden nobody wanted one anymore, and everybody's going out and they're buying smart cars and they're buying Fiats and they're buying you know uh, Toyota Priuses and whatever else, and everybody got away from it because the gas price just skyrocketed. That's like the running back position. There was a time where everybody wanted a running back. You had to have a running back. Marshall Falk was a multi-talented running back that was winning Super Bowls for the Rams. And Terrell Davis was finally getting John Elway a Super Bowl because the running back position was finally solidified for him and he's able to win Super Bowls. And then the competition committee started enforcing different rules in terms of the passing game and suddenly quarterbacks are throwing for 4,000, 5,000, 6,000 yards a season and 45, 50, 55 touchdowns a season and gas is 450 and everybody's got these Humvees that are sitting in the garage. And the game has changed. That's number one that has hurt Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor in the year 2000 would be a far more coveted player than he is today. The second being, there is no doubt that he is a dynamic weapon and the best offensive player, maybe even the best overall player that the Colts have, but they now have completely torn up the blueprint of what they want to be, and everything this year is around one thing, and that's the development of Anthony Richardson. And having a running back there as a security blanket is absolutely an important part of that. But if you can get one at 70% the production of Jonathan Taylor for 20% the price, that's what you're going to do. And to your point, it's not like last season where they didn't have a mobile quarterback, but a lot of offenses now with dual-threat quarterbacks can scheme up a lot of yards or scheme up good looks to be able to gain chunk plays. So I think that if you lose Jonathan Taylor, it hurts you more if you have an immobile quarterback like Matt Ryan, you know, like Sam Ellinger to an extent last year, like Nick Foles, to where Anthony Richardson, because of his threat to run, right. you're always going to be somewhat okay to generate some offense that way. And I think I liken it to the year that Jalen Hurts became the full-time starter in Philadelphia in 2021. He was a leading rusher that year. I think it was over 700 yards. And it was kind of like he was one of a committee. And the reason why he led them and was able to keep it kind of steady was because of the scheme that Shane Steichen put him in. I know it's a lot on Shane Steichen's plate. It's a lot on Anthony Richardson's plate. But to me, you basically just find out what you have in Anthony Richardson a lot sooner too. When you see so far in the in the preseason through you know three games, two of which Anthony Richardson was on the field, so basically what three quarters or so. Yep. Um, the times when he was running the ball, and he's listen, 
he's like a bigger, faster Kyler Murray, right? Like all of a sudden he's just he's slippery. The times that that has happened, if you had to guess, what percent of those were by design? And what percent of those were because he started hearing the footsteps and took off? Yeah, I would say it's probably like 70-30, 70%. It's a designed RPO, designed zone read, designed read option versus him just taking off. Because we've seen he's really not afraid to stand in the pocket and make a play happen. It's just can you get your feet together and deliver the ball where it needs to go? Because as we've seen, it, it tends to go high when he misses. But this isn't a guy who's just running just because he's scared. He usually only runs if it's – designed to do so and he's pretty good at it and it does help in certain cases like he had a couple scrambles where it clearly wasn't a run play but he just rolls out and the guy misses and he's gone you know for six or seven yards and to me last season that is a sack that's a fumble this year it's oh okay there's a first down that we probably shouldn't have had okay I have a really dumb question for you and then I'm going to get into why you're wearing a Florida Atlantic t-shirt Oh, yeah, I'll explain um, that. What's that? <laughs> so I'll explain I it. like that. Uh, James Boyd, by the way, who, of course, you hear a lot on this program, is who is in studio with me. Again, this is Querying Company. Thanks for listening here. We'll be here until 3 o'clock. John will take over at 3, and we'll get you caught up uh, on everything that happens with the Colts over the next four hours. That's going to be the obvious, almost entire topic of conversation. But, James, I always go back to I, – I always think about these things – I love that people might be listening to this program. As a matter of fact, it's the ultimate compliment to me when someone says like, hey, I like listening to the show, but I'm not I'm not even a huge sports fan, but I like just the conversation. I like right. it's a beautiful day. I like hearing two guys talk. I like to feel like I'm just sitting down at a bar and and we're talking about sports, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that sometimes myself included can use terminology or or jargon that we assume that all people understand. Uh, yeah, that's okay, fair. that's fair. So that said, and I, I've got a pretty good idea of these things, but but I do think every once in a while, and I, I'm gonna, I'm leaning on you as a positive, not not a negative, because you know these things. I'm gonna give you a couple of terms, and I want you to explain as if I'm a third grader what they mean. Okay, RPO. It's a run pass option. So basically, he gets the ball, snap to him, Anthony Richardson. That is. He holds it, the running back comes over, and he can either hand it off to him or keep it for himself and then throw it to another player on the field. So that's what I mean when I say RPO. Okay, now, in an RPO situation, as the ball is being snapped, the quarterback and the running back do or do not know which option that particular play is going to be. In other words, is it only appearing to be an option to keep the defense at bay or is it, in fact, an option where he is allowed to make that decision? It's an option where he's allowed to make that decision. Okay. Because otherwise, I think teams will be able to kind of scout and see, oh, whenever he does this, he never hands it off. He always passes. So there is some you know, uh, it, mystique to it. To be honest with you, it's kind of replaced, to put it in terms of the older guard, you know, the Colts were really known for a long time, especially under Edron James, of the stretch play, right? Where where Manning drops back and he, he's stretching and forever it looks like he's going to hand off. Yeah. And then that is not, you know, it's kind of the newer version, right. of that, admittedly. Okay, uh, zone read. A zone read is basically when the quarterback chooses to hand it off and run it for himself. So he's he's basing it off of whatever the defense does. Now, if they collapse and when you're sticking it in the running back's gut, and you see, oh, everyone's kind of committed to that, and you snatch it back and keep it, 
you can just get to the outside or, or break it off for seven, eight, ten yards, or even sometimes if you're like Lamar Jackson good, take it to the house. Okay, and then probably the same thing in that zone option. Same, Sim- like, similar thing. Similar right? thing, exactly. Yeah. So, and then a lot of people may not realize this, I realize. Uh, cover two is probably the, the, the term that we most hear about a zone defense. And by that, I mean there's man in their zone. It's just like basketball when you're a little kid playing basketball. You play in a zone defense that, you know, Rob Morris was a guy that I felt like from the Colts standpoint – always got the short end of the stick because at the end of a play you would see him sprinting for his life and you think that he got burnt well in reality he actually covered his area of the zone but somebody else did not so he now he's running over into the area that you know to try to help out right exactly Um, and then man obviously is exactly that where each person is looking at you know the area that from a corner standpoint that's your guy end of story right Mm -hmm. i know that's elementary but even if there's two people that are listening are like, you know what? I hear those terms all the time. I wanted to. Explain. Yeah, no. And honestly, I have to remind myself of that because when you're a sports writer in a specific audience, so when you write it and then when you're at the athletic and they like pay to read it, they usually know a lot of the terms totally, and stuff like that. But yeah, that's definitely a good point. And it's stuff that I had to learn too, because when I switched over from the NBA to the NFL, I was like, what the heck is all this? Like mumbo jumbo. I just, you know, pass or run. Well, it is interesting. <laughs> it's It's a very copycat league and it's a very cyclical league and right now like the rpo for example i mean that's become the thing right that is the new trend in the nfl and it may be forever it might not be i mean i remember when the cover two like that matter of fact it's funny james tony dungy once said to me in an interview not like you know it's not like we were out having you know <laughs> I like that he together, invited you over man you gotta right. tell us you got that well kind of i like i like tony dungy a great deal actually um but in a conversation once he said, you know, it's so funny, the Tampa 2 or the cover 2 defense, which is the one that was most known for, you know, for being kind of facilitated and used at first by the Tampa Bucks, and then it was kind of copycatted. Tony Dungy's like, the funny thing is when I came to Indianapolis, everybody talked about how cover 2, cover 2, cover 2, and he's like, we're in cover 2 like 30% of the time. Everybody just assumed we were in cover two, but in reality, we, we weren't even running it that often. They got away from it and started doing other things, but you just become so transfixed on, on labels. Uh, why are you wearing a Florida Atlantic shirt? So, when I worked in Northwest Indiana, a few years ago, my first full-time job in journalism, I covered a kid named John L. Davis who went to 21st Century. He plays Florida Atlantic. He was on that Final Four team. He was actually the leading scorer. Good player. Really good player. Know his family like they're my family at this point, seriously. So he's like a brother to me. So um, I told all the region kids when I covered them that if they went off to school somewhere, I would get a shirt or get a hoodie to support them. And I have in my apartment right now probably like 30 different schools. So you were working for what? The Times of Northwest Indiana. Okay. And that's based in what city? The offices in Munster. Okay, so, but you probably covered what, like Gary East Chicago? Gary East Chicago, all the way out to like Kankakee Valley, um, Valpo. So I was all over um, Northwest Indiana. We had about 40 schools in our coverage area, two counties, and so a lot of miles in the car. How many times <laughs> did you go to Michael Jackson's childhood home? I didn't go. I never went. You know uh, what his backyard is? No, I do not. So a couple of years ago, I'm dry- James, I kid you not, I've driven to Chicago in my life, I don't know what, a thousand times not literally but a ton right mm-hmm. and they now have and i always forget if it's eighty ninety four or whatever road it is but they have a sign that says you know 
Jackson 5 Childhood Home, like Next Exit. So I've always been curious when I'm driving through Gary, like where exactly was Michael Jackson's home, right? So I pull off one time and I go into a gas station. I'm like, hey, where's Michael Jackson's? Even though they have the, once you pull off, they don't exactly have signs for it. So I ask somebody, they're like, it's right around here. The, the streets in Gary, Indiana are named after presidents. And he happened to live on Jackson Street. So you think, oh, oh they right. named the street for him. And then you're like, wait a minute, there's Roosevelt, there's Lincoln, there's <laughs> Van Buren. There's, you know, right. <laughs> but at any rate, so I pull up and there's like five kids, you know, like playing in the street. And I'm like, hey, do you guys happen to know which house was Michael Jackson's house? And I mean, th- these kids looked at me like, this guy is the biggest moron on the history of the planet. <laughs> and they're like, uh, it's like right up there. So I pull up. <laughs> And there is literally like a nine foot high marble thing in the front yard etched oh, wow. of Michael Jackson. It's like Michael Jackson's home, and like like a I mean, there is no denying it's it's essentially. So the family still owns it. So when I got there, Michael Jackson's cousin was actually locking the front door, um, and he's like, "Yeah, our family still owns the house." And so I just kind of upkeep it and keep the yard and whatever else. And it's basically preserved as it was when they left. I mean, obviously, it's been kind of renovated. And there's a huge mural of him in the front of it. But the back of the house, literally, if you were to, like, hop the fence of his backyard, you would be standing on the sidelines of the Gary Roosevelt football field. So his backyard is Gary Roosevelt High School. Yeah, I actually covered Roosevelt's last basketball season before they closed and shuttered. So now the only public school left in Gary is West Side. Oh, I was just going to say, I'm sorry. Is, is Lou Wallace not there? No, none of them are there. It's only, it's only West Side. They have a charter school now, but the only public school right. left in Gary is West Side, which so is So Roosevelt's crazy. closed. Roosevelt's closed. It's been closed maybe two or three years now. So my senior year of high school was Glenn Robinson's senior year. I'm the same year as Glenn. And I kid Legend. you not, James, different, different era then, right? You didn't have rivals in, in the internet and, you know, and- Allen Henderson was the great player at the time, the all-time leading scorer in Marion County history of the era here. And it was a foregone conclusion that Allen Henderson's Burbuff team was going to go to the finals and probably win the state. And as the year went on, now I knew of Glenn because I had a friend that played AAU ball with him when we were sophomores. And Glenn Robinson was so good that the Bloomington AAU team picked him up and the coach from Bloomington twice a week would drive to Gary to pick Glenn Robinson up, drive him down to Bloomington, actually in Indies where they practice, for practice, and then drive him home. Like six hours round trip twice a week to pick up Glenn Robinson for their AAU team. But as the year went on, people around the area were like, no, 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 don't rule out Gary Roosevelt because this guy Glenn Robinson is a totally different player. I mean, he is all world. And Henderson was fabulous. Alan Henderson's one of the great players in Indiana high school history. Glenn Robinson comes down with that Gary Roosevelt team and people were just – they'd never seen anything like him. A big guy like that that was just intimidating, could shoot, um, bring the ball down. He, I mean, he was a different breed. Now, how often was he around, if at all, when you were covering them? He wasn't around much. I mean, it was – I'm not going to lie. It was pretty rough. They didn't even play. The reason I covered it and the reason why it was a big story other than them shuttering was that they had to play every game on the road. Because of the situation at their high school, it was unsafe to play there. Yeah, I so they practiced that. at a local, like, it wasn't even a YMC, it was a YWCA. And it was like, can we rent like 45 minutes to practice with these guys? And you kind of have to get there on your own. It was a pretty sad situation. But 
they finished it out, and there was a lot of pride when that ended because it was like the end of an era, and you just wonder, okay, who's going to carry on that history of Gary? And and they still love their basketball. Like I said, John L. Davis was an awesome player at this little tiny school, 21st century. And the reason why I was so happy to see him go to Final Four is because his senior year was the COVID year. They were going to go to state. He was that good. He was going 50, you know, triple doubles. Kid was one of the best players in the state. Going to be a Mr. Basketball running, all that. Win their sectional, and it was done just like that. So to see him a couple of years later go to the Final Four instead was awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty cool for sure. Uh, when we come back, by the way, big show lined up. Randy Mueller, who was a general manager in the NFL for a couple different franchises, now with The Athletic, going to join us at 1 o'clock. Mike Jones from The Athletic as well, going to join us at 1.30. Mike Chappell, 2 o'clock today. Tony East will talk a little bit about what Tyrese Halliburton is doing overseas for Team USA. That's going to be at 2.30. But when we come back, we will get back into the Jonathan Taylor discussion because the clock is ticking, and what's it going to say at the end of the day? A preview of that next. You're listening to Quarian Company, 93.5-1075 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Now, Jimmy, I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm offended by any stretch. <laughs> well, this is great. But hey, I, here we go. But I've noticed that since I, I, I slid into this time slot, whether it be you or Eddie, you're playing all this old guy music. <laughs> Give me an era and now, I will walk I, that I, line I'm, for you. I mean, let me tell you now something. until the end of time. I, I mean, <laughs> James, you'd be a good person to ask on this. Like, I mean, I, 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 I pride myself. Like, I don't want to be the, the Steve Buscemi character, like, hello, fellow young kids with my skateboard oh, on my shoulder. I don't want to be that guy. Like, I've got a buddy that's, like, 65 years old and wears nothing but, like, track suits and hats backwards. I don't want to be oh, that Lord. guy. But I'd like to think that I'm a youngish hip guy, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> there was a long pregnant pause there. By the way, um, speaking of always youthful, uh, I am compelled to say happy birthday to my girlfriend, Shannon. Today's her birthday. Boom. So happy, happy birthday, Shannon. And what are we doing to celebrate it? Uh, she informed me she's got dinner with friends tonight. <laughs> Dang, man. So, so we're going to see Modern English on Thursday before <laughs> I uh, head out of town this weekend for IndyCar. Okay, so question is, let's say on Thursday, James Boyd, I'm going to see Modern English, Melt With You, uh, at Hi-Fi. When I am sitting there listening to them, and I look down at my phone, and I go to Colts.com, and I check the roster... Jonathan Taylor will or will not be listed on that page. He will be listed on that page. I would agree with you. I think he and I think he's going to be listed on the physically unable to perform list. That is the question I'm like, oh man, I don't know what to believe, what to think. I do think that if he isn't traded, he's probably going to be on that list because it's his way of sort of remaining away from the team and remaining on the sideline, not wanting to play. Okay, which would lead to this question mark, though. Let me ask you this question. If, in fact, Jonathan Taylor is put on the pup list, meaning that he cannot play for the first four games, okay, you now are, if you are the Colts, in this, the final year of his contract, you are now reducing the amount of production you're going to get out of him to at least, like, you know, basically 25%. If the Colts have have it in their mind that they are not going to, and I'm not saying this is the case, I'm saying hypothetically speaking, to cover 
all areas here, okay? If the Colts have decided that they're going to not long-term extend Jonathan Taylor, then is it not in the best interest of the Colts to get him on the field as soon as possible to be able to showcase what he can do in case they still, in fact, want to trade him? I agree, and even though he might be upset right now, I might be in his best interest as well because to put it in the plainest terms, he basically has to play six games this season to earn the accrued season, which basically means he will become a free agent by next year. Anything less than six games of being available and willing to play puts him in a lot of hot water as far as, you know, does he earn his free agency next year? Do the Colts still own his rights after this season? It gets very, very complicated if he isn't available to play at least six games. And by being on the pub list to start the season, that knocks out four of those games. Now, you don't get punished for being on the pub list, but like let's just say, is he on there all year? Then it will become a thing where I told you off air, I mean, lawyers get involved, you know, litigators all those types of things where they basically go through it in a very legal manner to decide the fate of his season in his future okay so let's let's cover all bases here not litigator by the way i'm sorry arbitrator (laughs) um well the always dreaded arbitration right yep so let's cover all bases here scenario one jonathan taylor begins the year on the physically unable to perform list and as a result of that it is mandated that he miss four games by the NFL. That is advantage Colts how? I think they still maintain control of his future, and they can be like, hey, because of this injury and you're not playing, you're not able to really showcase yourself, so you're going to stay here with us. Okay. That and then ad- we know more than anybody else how healthy you are. That is advantage Jonathan Taylor how? I don't want to be here. And the longer that I'm here and not playing every week when people like me, James Boy, walks to the locker room and asks the coach or other players about JT being here but not being here, it becomes a thing. And as much as they want to say or they will say if he's still here, it's not a distraction. It will become a distraction when you have a rookie quarterback and the other player that's supposed to be with him isn't there. Okay. Jonathan Taylor is on the roster and activated. Advantage Colts is obvious. He is a good player, right? Yep. Um, I guess also Advantage Colts, agree or disagree, that could be partially just simply to showcase that he is healthy in order to increase a value for them. Yes, but I do think that if he comes back and he's healthy and he plays, because there's also the mental aspect of it. Like, you can be healthy and be like, oh, I'll just show up and just do whatever. Right, right. And stink it up, and hopefully you guys get rid of me. But if he comes back and he plays well, they could be like, you know what? We changed our minds. We're not going to trade you. We see that you're actually pretty good for Anthony Richardson and his team. We're going to keep you. But the but then you get into the next hornet's nest, which is Jonathan Taylor's determination in his mind of what he should be getting paid and what's going to keep him productive because he's happy. And that number still appears to be a pretty wide chasm from what the Colts believe that he should be paid. Now, I think personally, James, I don't know this. I think the Colts... I don't know that the Colts have ever come out and said, we are not going to extend Jonathan Taylor. I think basically what they've insinuated is, we're going to extend Jonathan Taylor, and if we do so, it's going to be on our terms and our time. And Jonathan Taylor's saying, no, no, no. Like, you you, you extended Naeem Hines, you extended Shaq Leonard, you extended Quentin Nelsons. Not all those guys were healthy. What's the holdup? 
Well, I agree with that to a certain extent. But Jim Irsay, when he spoke to us after the whole bus incident out there in Westfield, he had the chance to say that, that, hey, now's not the right time, but in the future we could extend him. He just chose to say we're not going – we're not talking about extensions at all right now. Right. And so that probably rubs JT the wrong way more so than the fan base and us because it's his – what he feels like is his money, his future, his career. And so while I feel for him, if you want to be completely shrewd business-like, the best option they have – is to not pay him and just franchise tag him because the tag is not going to be very high and you can get a yearly commitment from him assuming he plays on it because he doesn't want to sit out. And that's a way to keep him here long term without committing to a bunch of money. Right, The away. tag would be the average of the top five paid running backs in the league. And that, again, we don't really know what that's going to be because there are a lot of them that are getting ready to hop. Although, you know, Jacobs just signed, what, one year? One year for up to, up to $12 million, But I do... I believe the projection right now for next year's running back salary uh, or, or franchise tag, tag cap is about twelve or thirteen million. And again, you're getting into now, James. If you tag him, let's say you tag him and he gets twelve and a half. That's pretty realistically, I think. In other words, if Jonathan Taylor's asking for sixteen million, which is the reported asking price, if he's asking for sixteen million. You ever sold a car? I have not. I actually just paid my car off. So shout out okay. to all the people out there with no car notes. Thank <laughs> it's, God. It's nice. It's freedom. It? I got a new um, car, baby. <laughs> so if you ever sell a car, though, or when you bought your car, if you buy a used car, nobody goes in and, and says, hey, I want to buy this two-year-old car. You've got a thing on it that says twenty eight grand. Here's twenty eight grand. No. Right. They go to it and they go, look the guy's selling it for 28 grand, so I know that means he's willing to take 25 too, right? So if Taylor's asking for 16 million reportedly, then one would think that that means he might you might be able to get him for like say 145, 14. So the tag is going to be in the ballpark. I'm not saying it's going to make him happy, but it's going to be in the ballpark of probably his asking price. But it's one year. That's the biggest difference. And the reason why he's probably so upset is because of his position, not the whole running back depreciation. If he goes out there and gets hit and gets hurt, which is probably the most likely scenario of any position on the field because running backs always get hit. They're going to get hurt. That's what happens to them. He's probably thinking, if I play this year out or go out there and tear my ACL or break my leg or break my ankle – I'm not going to get anything next year. Everyone keeps telling me I got to play this year out. I'll get tagged next year. Not a big deal. But if you miss, you know, an opportunity to get paid because you got a big injury, then what? They're going to just pay you off of faith. They're not going to pay you. Again, I'm not saying it's wrong. Let let me ask you one other thing. So where we stand right now at 1240 PM, at least from a public knowledge is that Jonathan Taylor is still a member of the Colts and that now allegedly and supposedly the Miami Dolphins are out there trying to put together a package to get him or at least in discussion. And there's a second mystery team. And this mystery team now is making a late push. And this mystery team now is suddenly making the Miami Dolphins nervous. And the mystery team is forcing Miami now to offer a couple of Miami subs, as well as like a Dwayne Wade jersey and whatever else they can come up with. And this mystery team is increasing the value. Right. So here's the question. Is there, in fact, a third team 
in this equation, meaning a second team that has interest in Jonathan Taylor, or is this a figment of the Indianapolis Colts' imagination that is increasing the value of what Miami has to give to get Jonathan Taylor? So how can I word this? If you're the Colts, it does not hurt you to have another team of course. in the race. You know what I mean? So around this time, a lot of stuff gets put out there. A lot of stuff isn't true. I'll say that. And so you have to kind of take things with a grain of salt. I know that there are certain reports out there you can read and, and really digest and a lot of fans eat that stuff up. But I would say a lot of this stuff is smoke and mirrors because of the situation the Colts are in. They're not getting rid of a player they want to get rid of. They're not saying, hey, come get him and we'll just do whatever. They're saying, like we talked about, let's let JT see what market doesn't develop really. And then you'll realize, oh, all along, the only real option I had was to stay with the Colts. And I know some people are like, well, why don't they pay him? They're going to say they're going to trade him and they want to raise the asking price because they will pay him. Just not more than they have to and not more than they have to right now. So again, $4.3 million this year. They could tag you next year. They could tag you the year after that. And it might even be lower, depending on what the tag number is by that point. So, to me, he's fighting an uphill battle that he really cannot win unless he at least gets through this last year of his rookie deal. Then you get a little bit of leverage. You can, you know, threaten to hold out, all those things. But right now, being a year early, it feels like all this stuff is premature. And we haven't even talked about the money aspect of it. Like, if he, let's say he comes off pup. Physically unable to perform list, and he's available By the way, to play. I, let me just interject this, if I may. I, I, I would have no problem being a professional athlete. I would love to make the money that a professional athlete makes. I would like the free swag, the bags, the 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 hats, the the workout shorts, everything else. I, I never in my life want anyone to be able to list me as physically unable to perform. That that's just an uncomfortable <laughs> labeling. You know what I mean? I mean, it, it kind of lets you know how barbaric and transactional football is seriously no question honestly no question they're like cattle sometimes the way they're like referred to and what we talk about it and the way bodies get moved even today as much as you know i'll see oh a guy got waved or whatever that's probably a crushing moment for a player especially if you're early in your career and you're like wow it's my first time how about the guy today give me a guy that you think is the 53rd man on the roster this year arlington hambright okay so arlington hambright when he makes the roster today and and is like at 4.15, he's rolling into whatever restaurant, and he's like, dinner is on me, baby. I'm an Indianapolis Colt. I can't believe the dream is reality. Arlington Hambright, let's, let's go. We're going to go to Lids and print out more and, and have jerseys made <laughs> for my friends, family, whatever else. And then literally at 4.45, the Dallas Cowboys release a middle linebacker that Chris Ballard is in love with, and they're like, I want that guy. So they And then they're like, well, what, we got to make up a spot here. Arlington, I got news for you. That's the reality of it, too, and that's going to happen to somebody. It happened with earlier this summer with Toriano Clinton, the running back from UND, who had all the rushing records. I believe he practiced once with the Colts. He was signed for literally like two days. Came in, practiced, and was gone let, within let, the week. Let me tell you what and I would do. And it's tough. Let me tell you what I would do in that situation. I take all of the free stuff for That's sure. It. The second that they signed me, I would be going to the equipment guy and I would be getting <laughs> literally I'd be like these duffel bags, can I get 3 of them fully loaded like every you, you name it, right? I want all the gear. I, I will say when I when I joined the radio network for 
the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I had, as a kid, always seen the hats with the Indianapolis Motor Speedway radio network right. logo on it, the wing and wheel radio network. When, when I started at the radio network, literally anywhere I went that they were giving out hats, I grabbed hats. I have a closet at home with 264 IMS radio network hats. Did you count them? No. I was going to say. I'm guessing. I was about to say. two. Is it like, okay, realistic number, what is it? Oh, I mean, I probably have hats or IMS radio network hats. Let's go IMS radio. I'm just curious. At this point, five. Okay. Maybe okay. six. All right. But at one time, it was a lot. Now, we also, we got luggage. You know, they have title sponsors. So we would get luggage that would say, like, Eyes Out IndyCar Series, and then that contract expires. Ooh, Eyes Out Horizon. is nice. Verizon becomes the new sponsor, so all of the IZOD stuff you had was out. You know, you couldn't wear it, so they had to give you all new clothing with the Verizon stuff on it, or all new clothing with NTT data on it, or all new clothing. You know, so so during those cycles, every three or four years, you're getting all new gear. So eventually, I will tell you, James, that I went through. Well, it was at the tail end of COVID. Uh, I went ahead and I did a massive purge of my possessions and probably 60% of what I owned, I got rid of. I took literally um, 14 tubs, like the big tubs. I took 14 tubs of clothing to different shelters here in Indianapolis. Good um, man. And I, I filled, you ready for this? One of those pod things. I filled half a dumpster of- Are you serious? <laughs> Of, of I've actually never had trash books. That much clothes. It was the most liber- no, no, no. That wasn't clothes. That was just just stuff, stuff. that I'd accumulated. Oh, gotcha. Okay. And, and it was the most liberating feeling ever. Now, there's not a single thing I own today that I couldn't right now go and get and bring back here within. However, I mean, literally, oh, I know exactly fair. where it is. Well, I'm like that with shoes. I, I got some shoes. Well, I know Brownsburg does like a sneaker classic thing, and I'll probably end up giving away. Uh, let me tell you, a bunch of shoes. Shoes, by the way, I had over a hundred pair of shoes easily. Um, most of them like basketball and or running shoes. Um, I took there there's Wheeler mission has an organization where they back on your feet again, where they take people that have gone through the homeless shelter and they run, they get together and they run through the streets of, you know, they for exercise. And so to get people back on their feet and get them moving. And so I donated a ton of shoes to that. Um, but I have, I bought a pair of like Bo Jackson cross trainers because that's all I wanted when I was in high school. And my dad's like, I'm not, I'm not buying those. Let me tell you, most uncomfortable shoes ever, ever. I got a pair of Jordan 3s. I've never taken them out of the box, right? I, that's what I did, though. When I got to college and I started working for the first time, because I didn't work until I got to college, got my first checks. Every single college check probably went towards a pair of shoes. And I didn't have any bills back then. So I bought every shoe that my yeah. parents were like, oh, that's I'm it. never going to buy it. But so. you know what? That's the importance of your parents giving you those limits when you're a kid because it gives you some, it, it allows you to aspire for something, right? There you go. And then if you're like me, you end up with a pair of Bo Jackson cross trainers and you're like, these things are not very comfortable, <laughs> which is thank you why I have the inserts from the Goodfeet store. Randy Mueller joins us 12 minutes from now. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. So Jimmy Cook is forcing me to relive yesterday's conversation. Because Jimmy, you know this is the theme song of what college football program? I listened good yesterday, Coach. <laughs> you know, James? I don't know. This song is played 
Matter of fact, the t-shirt that I'm wearing today, the t-shirt that I'm wearing today, for those of you on the YouTube chat, by the way, and thank you if you're watching on YouTube right now, I'm standing up, so probably all you're seeing is my t-shirt, but... And muscles. The, I switched to aerial right. view, so you're good. You're the good. public address announcer at a particular college football stadium got into the habit some 40 years ago, for whatever reason, of always announcing the score for Slippery Rock. And so they would announce it, and then the fans of this particular university would go crazy every week. Uh, college football scores also Slippery Rock 10, Indiana of Pennsylvania 7, and the crowd would go crazy. That same university... In the start of the fourth quarter, Wisconsin does jump around and the whole crowd goes crazy. The song that you just heard, okay, oh, okay. is played at what university? I wouldn't know. That would be at the big house at the University of Michigan. And those people, when they're singing that song at the beginning of the fourth quarter on October 14th, are going to be absolutely incredulous at the fact that they're able to cite the lyrics when they're witnessing before them the historical event for the first time since 1967 of the Indiana Hoosiers going and shocking the world and winning in the big house. What world will this be in? Is this like a canon event? Am I in the Spider-Verse? Have you been been to the big house? I have not been to the okay. big house. 100 and what, 8,000 people? Yeah. Average looks age? looks amazing, yeah. like average, atmosphere. Average age, 108. I'm telling you, it's the quietest <laughs> 100. I'm telling you. And those people are all going to be sitting right, there, right. okay? And they're going to say to themselves, I witnessed this once 56 years ago, and I just wanted to see it one more time in my lifetime. And the Indiana <laughs> okay. Fighting Hoosiers are going to do them all a favor and go up there and shock the world, right. and they are going to beat Michigan on October 14th. So I have to tread lightly. As the Illinois grab, but isn't Tom Allen the one who didn't even announce who their starting kicker is or something like that? Uh, Close to the James, chest, James. James are, chest. are you kidding me? The strategy here is brilliant. <laughs> How are you going to plan against Indiana when you don't know their kicker? You can't, James. <laughs> like, you can't resiliency. Do it. I'm just resiliency. Hey, James. man, I'm just playing devil's advocate. Leo, you know? I'm just telling you. I mean, they know Look. who their kicker is. But you don't, right? You don't know. I don't. Know. I don't but I Michigan doesn't know. Michigan doesn't know who their kicker is. And, and and in fact, there's a very good chance by October 14th, they still won't know who Indiana's kicker is because the guy will not have had a, chi- a chance to kick anything in the in the preceding like eight games. But Indiana's <laughs> going to go up there, and they are going to stun the world. They're going to shock the world. Okay. Uh, and people are going to say, Why you know, do I, you feel this strongly about this? I'm so... Is it just is it just love? Is, he, is it Elio? You highlighted yesterday, right? A couple of sweeping declarations in the past that you've hit on. Yes. Okay. James, here's the thing: when Did you, you highlight the ones you also missed, of course, I will always admit when I was wrong. It happened once in 1977, <laughs> right? I remember it like it was yesterday. What time again? Okay. You always remember the losses. <laughs> always remember the losses. I also predicted this. A few minutes ago, I predicted that we were 12 minutes away from Randy Miller joining the program, and guess what? We still are, except for now, it is strictly just over three minutes. One o'clock in Indy. For that matter, it's one o'clock everywhere in the Eastern Time Zone. My name is Jake Query. James Boyd here as well. Jimmy Cook flying the ship for us today. If you're just joining us, by the way, wide receiver Mike Strawn, wide receiver Amari Rogers. And running back Jake Funk, which was actually my nickname in college. Those three are the three that we know of at this point uh, that, at least as of now, obviously things can always change between 
fluctuations, practice squad, et cetera, but they are not part of the Indianapolis Colts this season. They are they have been released and or waived depending on their level of tenure. So we know that much for now. We are awaiting, of course, over the next three hours before the deadline. And to talk about that and just kind of the mindset of all that goes into that, James, you decided to bring on one of your colleagues from The Athletic. Yes, we have Randy Mueller, former NFL Executive of the Year on the line. Randy, how you doing? Doing great, guys. Good to be with you. Randy, I want to begin with this. You know, in your time as a GM, obviously, and just in you know New Orleans, Miami, and working for Seattle, you know, different franchises, we talk so much about the player standpoint of what today is like and determining those things. When you are formulating the roster, what are the 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 key? I guess when you're looking at it and you're going down to like players fifty-one, two, and three. How difficult are those decisions? Is it usually pretty clear-cut, or do you literally lose sleep for nights on end over the positions that a lot of people probably don't even think about? Well, it it is hard. It is a longer process than you think. I don't know that anybody's losing sleep over it, but you have a body of work that started last spring when you acquired these players. So it is, for the most part, on paper, it's one thing, but it's a fluid puzzle that changes pieces every day based on injuries, depth at other positions. There are just a lot of factors that you have to consider. Then you've got to try to project what's going to be available from other teams' releases, and is that better than your options? So it's convoluted. There's no doubt. I think nobody gets it exactly like they they think they have it. They don't think nobody gets it exactly right, I should say. So it's a process. It's it's emotional for the players, but it's emotional for the decision makers too, especially the guys who are delivering the message to these guys who have worked their whole, you know, spring and summer to try to make your team. And how much does I mean this is going to sound really elementary Randy, so I'm almost embarrassed to ask it, but if all things are given equal between two candidates, so to speak, how much does contract come into play or you know just in terms of the amount left on the contract, the amount it's going to cost against your cap, etc.? Well, I think in some cases it matters a lot. If you're if you're comparing a, a an NFL rookie to a you know six or seven year veteran, the, the the money is vastly different. But if you're talking about two or three years of service, maybe not quite as much. And you've built in your cap some some uh, bumper room, right? You've built in some money that in case a veteran here is is more equipped to make your team and help you the first three weeks, that you can do that. Um, so you try to plan again. It, it's like the old NFL films when Abe Gibran, the old coach of the Bears, was on the sidelines and he yells out, "Watch a draw, watch a screen, oh, watch everything." You know, so that's kind of what it comes down to. You got to watch everything and consider everything. So, Randy, how much do you sleep during a week like this? Because <laughs> I feel like is it just you know burn the midnight oil and you got a bunch of energy drinks, or how do you go about a routine if you even have one during this time of the year? Well, I don't think it starts now. That's my point. It started long ago, and you're <laughs> you're, you're limited. You're limited on 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 uh, pillow time. That's for sure. But you've spent days and months with your staff, and that includes the coaches, going over your roster, and so you kind of know how it's evolved, and you know the what ifs. It's like preparing for a draft with a few more moving parts. Um, but yeah, it's it's hard to to always 
have everybody on the same page. You as a GM, and I found this over the years, people underestimate the fact that you're a listener, right? You take the you take in what everybody's opinions are, but at the end of the day, you got to decide what's best. But the opinions sometimes that you have to hear are agenda based because you know they're they're made from a, a worm's eye view and not a bird's eye view. The GM has to have a, a bird's eye view. So there's a lot of listening. And it is helpful, I've found, because I can always go back to the tape myself and kind of decipher what everybody's saying, but also have an opinion through my own eyes. The, the, the GMs who are more cap-friendly, more came up on that side of the business, I think it's harder for them because they can only go on what's being told to them. So who has these conversations with the players? Are they in person? Is it over the phone? Is it a little bit of both? And do you delegate that as well as the GM, or are you calling – you know, 40 guys to say, hey, you know, appreciate your time, but this is the end. I think you owe it to them to do it yourself. And a lot of I've been around some coaches who want no part of it. I've been around other coaches where he and I were the ones in the room. I frankly like that the best. These guys have given you everything they have their whole lives, really, some of them for year after year. So I think you owe it to them to sit down and have a face to face and and uh, actually learn something from them, too. It, in some cases, it is an exit interview. Other cases, you may see these guys again, but I don't really want a messenger in the middle of our view as a club about that particular player, and it sometimes can be a good give-and-take exchange. Randy, I am not an NFL executive, but I play one on radio, okay? So <laughs> so let me throw to you, Randy Mueller, my kind of what I've always felt about building a roster if I were in that position, and then I want you to tell me um, I have a follow-up to it, Okay. I've always felt like offensive linemen and cornerbacks. My line has always been defensive backs and offensive linemen are like sunglasses and cell phone chargers. You can never have too many of them because you're constantly losing one and or having to replace one that suddenly broke it when you least expected it. Is that a fair statement first off? It is to a point. I would even take it down uh, a little closer to, to the autopsy in that I think safeties are a little easier to replace than corners, and I think guards are a little easier to replace than tackles. So just keep that in mind, but I'm following you so far. Okay, so with that, if there was a position that you're looking at your roster and you realize that you need more depth, then what other position can you kind of draw away a roster spot from because it's the most fungible on your roster? Well, it comes down to some help on special teams. I don't think you can ever have enough linebackers, and those guys are the ones that throw their body in harm's way. Um, I think offensive linemen, like you said, are really hard to find, but they also don't help you on special teams. There may be Sundays in the, in the fall where you only dress seven of them, so maybe you can rob a little bit from that part of the roster. Some teams now don't emphasize a fullback, and, and in case – they have sometimes very few tight ends, so you can maybe gain a spot or two from there. If you're talking about keeping 10 or 11 secondary players, I could make a case for keeping six corners, maybe seven, because it is such a spread game now that we need cover guys above and beyond guys that can play the run or play in the box or be a strong safety. So there's there's give and take to the roster without a doubt. It's pliable, and in fact, are in the injuries that you may or may not have to deal with on your roster as well. 
So we're talking to Randy Mueller at The Athletic, former NFL GM, executive of the year, et cetera, et cetera. He has a lot of titles because he's done a lot of things. But <laughs> Randy, one of the things we talked about, and you can actually read a column on Cut Down Day, his perspective on it at The Athletic right now. But Randy, we talked about Jonathan Taylor, who is the talk of the yep. town, talk of the NFL this week, especially today. And just to expand on what we written and what I wrote and what we talked about, what do you think are his options if he has any right now? I think it's, and, and you and I, you're right. We talked about this. I think it's going to be hard to find a home and a contract. I think the market for him could be a little more robust if he's willing to play for his deal this year and be looked at more like a rental for one year. I just don't think you're going to be able to put together a, a, a deal for a top compensative package for the Colts and yet pay Jonathan as well. I think, and you and I talked about it, if I was a GM looking for a running back, I probably would have signed Dalvin Cook two weeks ago because I didn't have to give any compensation, and he signed for oh, it was six, seven million a year, something like that. So, And he's a really good player. So I don't know that there's a lot to stand on above and beyond that at this point. That market, it took Dalvin Cook two months to get a job. So I'm not sure how you can find enough uh, information to piece together a deal just in these last few days. Randy, how important is it for the GM and the head coach and the owner to be on the same page? And how much do words matter in these situations where you're dealing with very personal subjects? I know the outside looking in, it's like, oh, it's it's money. It's also feelings and emotions and things like that, right? 100%. It's a lot about just the line of communication. And I'm not sure. I think I kind of know how they operate in Indy, that sometimes that would make me nervous as the GM. And I know Chris Ballard's in a tough spot at times. But I would spend a lot of days communicating with the right people in my own building. And at the end of the day, I'd say, what did I do today? I got absolutely nothing done. All I did was communicate with everybody. And sometimes that's the job. People think the GM is can sit in a room and pick players. That's 10% of the job. You've got to manage your whole group and communicate with everybody to keep the whole operation on the rails. So it's a, it's a little different criteria for those jobs, but you have to keep everybody on the same page. Otherwise, it's a nightmare, for, for the, especially for the spokesman. Between the draft, Randy, the war room of the draft, and then I'll say the war room of you know the decisions of final cuts, from a general manager standpoint – which do you think is a stronger suit to have? The strength and the conviction of your gut to be able to use your authority to override on a decision like, say, the head coach and, and stand up to the owner or the humility of at times taking a back seat and allowing and trusting your coach to have his input on the players that are best for the system that he envisions? Well, that's a great question, and there's a book or two in there, to be honest with you. Jake. I mean, it, that's been written time and time again. Um, I think the best GMs do a little bit of both. I think you have to acquiesce at times to your coaches, but I also think it's important to have a detailed criteria that you want in your players and your systems so that sometimes coaches get interchanged too. So it, it's hard. I think, again, you have an advantage as a GM if you can evaluate yourself, in my opinion, because you don't have to listen to everybody. I think the fact that you override coaches or you override people in your scouting department is a little overrated because I've never overridden a coach per se. Um, I, I'm If we can't agree, 
we're going to pick a different lane that we can agree on. That was always my theory. Did you ever have, and I don't know, so pardon my asking this, did you ever have coaches that you inherited, or was it always a coach that you had selected? Um, I, I've worked where coaches were under me. I've worked where coaches were even with me, and I've worked as the coach's boss. The relationship was the same. But, yes, I have worked with coaches that were there when I came. Hey, Nick, Nick Saban hired me in Miami, so he was the boss. So all kinds of different dynamics. Was any one more complicated than the other, or is it all kind of you figured out? Um, I think it's definitely more complicated, but I also know we're – big boys right we have big boy pants and we need (laughs) and we communicate better i think now the older we get and and the ability to to uh listen i think has to be there none of us are smarter than all of us so it is it is a difficult job that's why these guys get paid like they do nowadays um but it's one that is a great challenge that is as about as satisfying as any job you could have when you can win, but the pressure comes getting to that point. I'm wearing tough skins, Randy. I'm not going to lie to you. I have yet to get to the big. I haven't graduated to the big boy pants yet. <laughs> well, I know, but you play that. You play one on the radio. You play- <laughs> <laughs> that's that's exactly right. You can't tell how big oh I am on the radio, God. right? <laughs> Randy, please do not stroke that man's ego, please. But I will say this: you talked about. You know, you all get paid a lot of money, right? You're in this profession. And we're not saying John Tiller is not going to make a lot of money this year if he does play for the Colts. But what has been your take on just the evolution of the franchise tag and seeing how it's used now versus when it was first implemented? I believe maybe 30 years ago, I believe, is the anniversary of this year. Yeah, I remember when it came out. And the reasoning behind why, when it came out was free agency had just come to the league. And it was one of the CBAs that was bargained for, I think you're right, mid-90s or maybe early 90s. It was brought into effect to to minimize change of the best players in the league. In other words, you didn't want your team's best players being able to walk out the door. So you had the franchise tag and you had a transition tag. But at the same time, it rewarded those players for being paid the average of the top five or a transition tag average of the top ten. So I think the theory is good. I still think it's there. I just think in the running back case, most coaches and systems now have minimized it to the point where they think they can scheme rushing yardage. They can scheme it with X's and O's. They don't necessarily need, unless that back can be a weapon on third down, they don't need to pay one to get what they want production-wise. So it's just evolved. Hey, who knows? A couple years from now, we might be back to adding a fullback and running downhill between the tackles. So I want to mention this real quick. So the year that Randy Mueller won Executive of the Year was 2000. Jake, there were 14 running backs with at least 290 carries that season. Eddie George led them all with 403 carries in a season. Last year, there were only four players with 290 carries, and the only one who made the playoffs was Saquon Barkley. Like, that is – that's I mean, the, the trend itself, you are no longer handing it off to right. a guy 40 times in a game. Yeah. You're, you're not, and, you're, and thus, you're not getting the value to just be a runner of the football. You've got to do all the other things. You've got to play on third down. You've got to average seven or eight yards a catch as a running back. And you've got to be a playmaker in the red zone. So there's just the criteria has changed as well. Randy, I assume you've seen a fair amount um, of the reps that each of these three guys got during the preseason. Between Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, uh, which one has to you shown the most flash and which one to you shows the most work yet to be done? Well, that might cover both of what you're watching in Indianapolis because you do see flash. 
you see flash, but you see wild inaccuracy as well. So I think I've learned very little from these three quarterbacks since the preseason started. I thought Bryce Young would be the furthest ahead. I think he is. I think C.J. Stroud is probably second, who seems to be more comfortable. But I've said all along that, you know, Anthony Richardson has the biggest upside. He just has the furthest to come. So I get it. I think we're going to have to obviously see a lot more body of work, but I've really seen nothing that – surprises me to this point would you rather if you were getting ready to draft a quarterback and you're looking at a guy would you rather have one that has really good mechanics but not very good intuition and presence in the pocket or one that has really good intuition and presence but the mechanics are throwing off his accuracy which one is easier to adjust for a player over the course of time well, I think it's a fatal flaw if you don't have poison and can process from the pocket. I don't know how you could play at the NFL level. So that one's a big one for me. Hey, I was with Philip Rivers for 10 years in, in San Diego or L.A. Nobody's looking for guys to throw sidearm like he does. But I've never seen a guy more comfortable in the pocket that can make things happen inside the pocket than he has. So I think the cookie cutter is 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 changing. I do love the fact that some of these guys can move around and get away from pressure, but eventually defensive coaches, and they're the best in the world at what they do, they will keep you in the pocket, and you've got to make all the throws from that spot. That's what we're going to see happen with all three of these young guys, and who does it the best will determine who's the most successful. So you actually had a piece about this in the athletic ranking your young developing quarterbacks in the NFL for the listeners out there Anthony Richardson isn't on there because he hasn't played yet so it's kind of hard to evaluate him and where he's at but who do you think of that bunch where you said they're kind of you know in that in-between stage you know uh, Kenny Pickett Jordan Love Justin Fields who are some of these guys that you think could take a leap to becoming a true franchise player and what do you think are the keys to doing so? Well, I left the young guys out because I think they're more projects at this point. That was this year's Oh, don't use that word here in Indianapolis, Randy. I got They, they got me in some hot water with, uh, with Anthony Richardson, but go ahead. <laughs> well, I'm just telling you the way I feel after 35 years in the NFL. So. <laughs> that is what it is. But I do like the fact that these guys who I ranked, and there were six of them, you're right about the piece, I think I had Pickett at the top because of his ability to process and make all the throws accurately from the pocket. I had feels a little lower because that's still a little bit of a, uh, that's a learning curve that we haven't seen. Frankly, there's a couple guys that, and although the body work isn't much, um, the kid from the red, uh, from the commanders, uh, North Carolina, Sam Howell, yep. he was impressive in preseason to me in that he could make the throws and felt very comfortable in the pocket. And trust me, I love the athleticism some of these young guys have. But that will wear off in time. They will find a way to not rush you and make you throw from the pocket. So the guys who stood out for me in that group that I wrote for On The Athletic were the guys who could process. But that was the same criteria I would use to select them to start with. So the criteria doesn't change. Randy, before we let you go, I have one other question for you. Randy Mueller is our guest, by the way. You can read his work at The Athletic. You can hear his podcast at The Athletic as well. Um, Because you have worked at the executive level in the National Football League, let me throw you a Jake Query tinfoil hat, you're going to think I'm crazy scenario, and then you tell me, like grade me 1 to 10, 10 being certifiable and 1 being, Jake, you're not crazy at all. That actually is a possibility, okay? Okay. When the live golf thing happened and that was announced – and yep. the initial reaction was, you know, you had the Saudi investment money that, that was 
formulating a league to compete against the PGA. And the thought process was, like, there's no way this thing's going to last. They don't even have a TV deal. And then they end up merging, okay? Mm-hmm. I have wondered if that wasn't the Saudi investment fund group basically doing a test balloon of professional sports. There is no bigger 800-pound gorilla of professional sports than the National Football League. But there are two leagues already in existence where one could lure away either top college talent or existing veteran talent with big-time money to play for one of those teams. Is it possible that eventually we start to see that same investment group dabbling in different sports and that the NFL is actually somewhat conditioned the way football is set up in this country to be vulnerable for that money to go against a competing to go towards a competing league well i'm not going to say you're nuts i think it's probably a a a five or, or or a four in there it's possible there's no doubt it's much harder to stage a takeover of you know the the biggest sport in the U.S. than it is to figure out a way to have a competing golf tour. I can promise you that. But if money's no object, then if you're just printing money, if you had the right people behind it who could actually evaluate talent and give you six or eight guys who you should spend your money on, I guess it would be something worth worth considering. Uh, again, it's complicated. That's probably way above my pay grade, Jake, but I don't think it's crazy. I well, think I just – I, I, you know, I keep going back, Randy, in my mind to – you know, I remember when it was kind of laughable, like Herschel Walker, what are the New Jersey generals, Doug Flutie, who is, you know, Reggie yeah. White's going to the Memphis showboats. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, wait a minute. Like we might have to start taking this seriously here. Obviously we know what happened with that. And we're talking 40 years ago, but there is precedent. It would seem to, if you can get a couple of big splashes, you can start to raise an eyebrow. That, that would be all well, I would say. Yeah. I would agree. I think it's it, it is always a possible, and and you'd have to have a a, a printing machine for money. But it sounds like they do, so yeah. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't disregard it totally. That's for sure. Last one from me, Randy: Is Jonathan Taylor a cult after four p.m. Eastern time? I think so, James. I just I don't think the dots can all be connected in this time frame. And again, I've thought all along that allowing him to seek a trade would be part of the process that allows him the life preserver to come back to the Colts. So that's probably what I would say at this point, but who knows? I'm, I'm 2000 miles away. <laughs> well, look, I appreciate you coming on and answering all my texts and calls. I've been harassing you this last few weeks, but uh, appreciate you, my man. No worries guys. Thanks a lot. Right. Really good stuff. Really good stuff from Randy Mueller. Um, fascinating. And the question in terms of Jonathan Taylor is one that we're going to keep an eye on. Still no news just yet, but um, James, we'll, we'll see, right? We'll see if my day gets a lot busier or if not. I'm usually rooting for the most chill day ever. Now, so. what happens – let me ask you this. Here, here's the million-dollar question. So you, James Boyd, are the Colts beat writer for The Athletic, right? That's me. Okay. Jonathan Taylor is the biggest star on the Colts roster, correct? Right now, yep. Uh, certainly, if you were to stop somebody on the Las Vegas Strip wearing a Colts hat and say, name one Colt, Jonathan Taylor's probably the guy they're going to say, right? Maybe yep. Anthony Richardson. So, 
let's just say hypothetically, and I want to be clear that I'm speaking hypothetically. There is no truth to this. Whatsoever. This is not the kind of truths like Indiana's going to beat Michigan. Like, I'm not talking that kind of truth. This is Lord not have mercy. Okay? So <laughs> hypothetically speaking, all of a sudden we get an alert that says the Indianapolis Colts have agreed in principle to a deal with the Denver Broncos to send Jonathan Taylor for Jerry Judy, a second-round pick, and a fifth-round pick. Okay? Now, you are obligated now i would think to be here until three o'clock do you leave right then which would be understandable do you say look i gotta go and then and then jimmy and i sit here and and read rosters for an hour and a half what exactly happens <laughs> no so i told jimmy i told jimmy this when i got in the elevator this morning or this afternoon rather i was like hey man i have written as much as i can already for whatever scenario happens and so you basically when it, whenever the news happens you just copy and paste what you wrote tweak a couple lines, move a couple names around. You know, you might have had a blank where the team was if, right. if we were to get traded, and you just send that in at the at the gun, and they get it up on the site right away. And then after I leave here, I probably have to lock in a little bit more and figure out, okay, what does it all mean? He left out one important nugget, though, and this is for the YouTube audience only. If you see James dive out of frame oh, for his yeah. backpack, that's, that's the dead giveaway. <laughs> there that you go. Something has happened. And he's and I, I've been checking my phone. Like I have post notifications on for all the right. big reporters, so if – Schefter, if 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 you know if I get a text something like that, it's gonna be up there as soon as I can find out. I'm in action mode. You know the other um, thing that people probably don't realize, and it's a, admittedly it's a little morbid, but it's the reality of what we do for a living. Like when I worked in television, I won't say any names, obviously. When I worked in television, we had prepared and ready to go and already edited with everything, probably eight to ten different obits. Oh yeah. Yeah, I used to always wonder how. I was like, man, how they get that up so fast? And then, yeah. I, then I became a journalist, and was like, oh, yep. you just write a version for whatever reality Correct. is going to happen. So that's also the thing I don't like. That's probably my least favorite thing is, yeah. is doing well, all that. Making work. those phone calls to get comment, and people are like, wait a minute, what? Yeah. It's not exactly <laughs> the most fun thing in the world. Uh, Mike Jones, by the way, not the one that made the tackle for the Tennessee Titans, right? Oh, or Lord. excuse me, the, the St. Louis Rams against Tennessee Titans. Do you remember that? I do not remember that. I was uh, not watching football back then. 2000 Super Bowl. I remember it. I didn't, couldn't have told you that's who it was, but I do remember it. Mike yes. Jones of the Rams made the tackle on Kevin Dyson of the Titans to secure Super Bowl 34 for the St. Louis Rams. Not that Mike Jones, but the one from the Athletic that covers the National Football League. We'll continue the conversation about Jonathan Taylor amongst others, and we'll do it on the other side here. It is Quarry and Company, 93.5, 107.5. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hey, good afternoon to you. Half past one. My name is Jake Query, James Boyd of The Athletic, the other voice that you hear on today's program, along with Jimmy Cook, who is manning things for us today. And speaking of The Athletic, we go back to The Athletic writer for The Athletic. Mike Jones joins us on the program. And Mike, I appreciate the time. I'll get right to it. I I thought you had a really interesting and insightful column about Jonathan Taylor essentially saying that there is the possibility, not the certainty, but the possibility that Jonathan Taylor's situation could be a watershed one for running backs in the National Football League. If you could illuminate for our listeners exactly what it was that you wrote in The Athletic. Yeah, well, what he's trying to do as far as, um, you know, get a new contract extension and since the the Colts are not willing to do that, to get it 
um, elsewhere to you know force his way out of there via trade and then sign a new deal with someone else is something that he is doing here as he's in the final year of his his uh, rookie contract um, where you know we saw guys last year like uh, Josh Jacobs Saquon Barkley uh, both of those guys um, uh, you know Tony Pollard guys that wound up having to play will you know receive the franchise tag designation um, this offseason rather than a contract extension and you know asking around talking to guys um, in the league talent evaluators and also you know player agents just about what they thought about um, how this was handled uh, they said you know what what Jonathan Jones what Jonathan um, Taylor is doing right now um, it might be the blueprint that running backs can follow you know by not waiting until the end of his contract and once his you know team can franchise him um, in the offseason and control his leverage, maybe the time to do it is as you're entering that final season. And then, look, talks break down, and then now uh, he's been re- given permission to pursue a trade, and we'll see what happens this afternoon. That's supposedly uh, the deadline. Although if it doesn't happen today, it doesn't mean that it you know is completely dead. Uh, but this is something that running backs might um, start doing, so that way they still control some of the leverage, rather than having to settle, you know, having to be tagged where they really have no leverage at all. So, Mike, if this doesn't work out and JT sort of falls flat on his face and he still succumbs to a lot of powers in the CBA, in particular that that help teams out in these situations. Do you think that kind of slams the door shut on the running back debate or market and, and, and what we're seeing now becomes what we just see in the future? Um, it, it could be. Um, and, and, yeah, we'll, we'll see how he handles this thing here. Um, you know, the, the possibility um, has been raised, okay, well, look, just because he doesn't get traded doesn't mean, um, you know, he could possibly hold in. Um, and refuse to play. Um, that's not saying that that can't. That his representative saying, "Hey, this is our game plan." But other, you know, representatives, other people in the league are saying, "Look, if he doesn't get traded, what options does he have?" And you know, possibly, you know, you can't really hold out. Because I was going to say it's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of money that you get fined every single day. Uh, but if you come in and you're you're there and you say, "Look, I'm not going to play. I'm protecting myself." Um, and then, you know, you wait until the minimum that you have to play to get your accrued season and then hit free agency and take it from there. Now, you hope it doesn't come down to that, um, but uh, those are just some of the options that he might have. When you, when you look at the way this has all gone down, Mike, is there any chance let – me, let me throw at you a, a possible situation. Is there any chance that the Colts basically said, you know what – Jim Mersey has said that we're not going to trade Jonathan Taylor. Not now, not October, never. And I, I realize that that probably was before some things might have changed a little bit. But any chance that they said to Jonathan Taylor, hey, we're giving you the green light. You and your agent go out there, shop around, and that they didn't do that because they have intention actually of dealing him, but rather to cement and create leverage for themselves by proving to his agent and to Jonathan Taylor that his market value is not near as high as what a $16 million per year player would, would expect. No, that's definitely a possibility. And that's something that, you know, when I was you know talking to people about, hey, what do you think is you know going on here? Are they really going to trade him? When this first came out that they had given him permission to seek a trade, there were people who wondered, okay, well, they're not really going to trade him, but they do want him to be able to see, hey, look, 
you're not what you think you're worth. What we offered you actually was fair. Um, and then him wind up having to come back uh, to the negotiation tables, accept what they were offering him, um, and then play here. That is always a possibility. But it does sound like that, you know, there are definitely teams who are interested out there. Um, and we'll see. But that asking price of the Colts um, is kind of high, um, you know, wanting a first-round draft pick now. Will they wind up relenting? Say that the, the Dolphins uh, or say, hey, look, we're not going to give you first, but we'll give you a second-round pick and a player. Um, if the Colts are, are happy with that, conversa- that compensation and figure, you know what, rather than deal with a disgruntled player, let's get something that we can use to build for the future. Let's take this offer here and then go from there. But, you know, it, it's going to be intriguing um, to see how it plays out there because, you know, that's a possibility that they did, you know, basically just say, hey, we'll let him so that way he can see he's not worth it and you go ahead and take our deal. Or, you know, maybe somebody, you know, winds up swooping in here and gives them a sweet enough offer that they decide they're good and ready to cut, the, cut their losses. Because, Mike, my, my thing, you know, to piggyback off that, I get that the Colts – if the Colts were saying w- w- he's out there – but only if you're going to give us a first rounder. And I don't know if that's reality, right? I mean, the reality is maybe if somebody offers them a, a second and a fourth or something, they, they pull the trigger on it. But by saying it that way, by making it publicly known, Jonathan Taylor, we are we we are looking for a first round pick for Jonathan Taylor. By doing that, then if there are no takers, then isn't it easy for them to then go back and say, look, the rest of the league doesn't consider you a first rounder period. So we now have the line in the sand of what your value is. It seems to be a really harsh way of doing things, but Mike, welcome to the NFL, right? Yes, exactly. I mean, it is a business um, and, you know, the, the emotions and everything like that and feeling great about players, it only extends to so long, so deep. And then all of a sudden these owners, these team presidents, it's like, look, Hey, this is your value. Take it. Uh, or you know, or, or deal with it, and then you know we'll see what happens in the off season. Whether they franchise tag him, or, or you know he goes elsewhere, or they wind up working something out. But um, they would definitely have more leverage if somebody says, if everybody says, no, we're not giving you a first round pick, and then they're like, okay, you're stuck here. Now what are you going to do? Um, you know, you're under contract. Uh, get out there on the field. Yeah, it's going to be really, really awkward if he remains here later today, and right. It becomes even more awkward, in my opinion, if he comes off the pup list, the physically unable to perform list, and then it's like you have to play and you have to talk to us in the media, which I'm looking forward to. But, um, Mike, you've been around this a long time. In your piece, you talked about the physical, and I think that was a point where a lot of um, our audience here in Indianapolis was like, wait a second, the physical, how does that factor into a trade? And, and so you've been around it a long time. How does it factor into this situation in particular? And can one team clear a guy and another team say, oh, he didn't pass his physical? Like, how does that all work? Uh, you know, I haven't seen a situation where somebody, uh, you know, passes a physical with one team and not another one. Um, you know, and also he has to be able to prove what he can do because th- these teams don't want to take on damaged goods. Um, they don't want to because obviously they're not just trading for him. They're also would be giving him a contract as well. So they don't want to invest money in somebody that can't pass a physical. They want to make sure, okay, that they protect themselves because say a dude, you know, they, they pass him one through and then, you know, the injury winds up being more serious. And he can't get out in the field. Then they're on the hook for the money. So, um, you know, by 
talking to people, they figure, hey, look, he's healthy enough to pass the physical. Um, you know, there'd be no way that they'd be pursuing a deal right now or in asking around and trying to solicit a trade if his agent and him weren't confident that he could be able to go out there and pass the physical and then, uh, you know, sign a contract. Mike, again, Mike Jones is our guest. He is from The Athletic. We're talking about Jonathan Taylor, amongst other things that we may bring up here. But um, the, the Taylor situation, Mike, one other question for you regarding that. This Miami is the team that has been most reported out there. Who knows how many others, you know, up six teams might have called. But now there's this late push from this mystery team, right? There's a there's a second mystery team that is now suddenly expressing interest. And Miami better, you know, bring to the table something pretty serious now because this other team could outbid them at the last minute. What are the chances that's actually a creation by the Colts to try to push Miami into a trade? I mean, I think it's a very good possibility that it is something like that. I had heard that uh, the Colts, the Bears, the Broncos were three leading teams. But as far as the mystery team, haven't figured out. I just had talked to somebody about an hour ago, and they said it's basically Miami or bust. Um, and they felt like uh, that that was, you know, kind of a ploy on the Colts' part to try to, you know, uh, put a little more pressure on the Dolphins that there is some, you know, body else that's kind of circling right there. Um, but again, if it was, you know, a team that's out there that's been kind of, you know, laying below the radar, it's got to be a team that's really close contending, um, that, that has, you know, assets, but also feels like, hey, he is that missing piece that he put over there. But I do think. Uh, from everything I've been able to heard, that the Dawsons would be the team that's got the best shot um, and the most desperate for his services. Part of me just, because the way I am and I'm wired, is like, if you do leave JT, go to a team where you play against the Colts later this season. Because right. <laughs> I, I just want to see how that whole thing will go down. But getting back to the point, and I guess the, the broader picture in this, do you think that he has more leverage maybe now than he would have a year later from now? Because on one hand, it seems like it's a year early, but on the other, I can kind of see why he maybe doesn't want to wait for that franchise tag where, you know, guys are fighting it every year now. Oh, yeah. If he if they tag him, he doesn't have very much leverage at all. Because look what happened with Saquon Barkley, um, with Josh Jacobs. I mean, Josh Jacobs led the NFL in rushing and still couldn't get much more um, than the franchise tag. He wound up, you know, dragging it out to the last minute and finally getting a little bit more, but it was still a one-year deal. Saquon Barkley had um, another 1,300-yard season and, you know, couldn't get a multi-year deal, even though the Giants definitely know that his production was a big reason why Daniel Jones um, looked like a competent quarterback last year because the pressure was off them with the balanced um, attack. Um, and so, you don't want to go into that off season where they tag you because then you have no say of where you're going to go. The team again can demand, you know, a first round pick. Uh, and so it's, you want to like he's doing right now, they wanted to go out there, put the pressure on the Colts. Hey, back them into a corner say, look, we're not going to play here. You have to either resign us to an extension or trade us elsewhere. And then, he has his agent be able to go out there and find teams that fit, you know, what he is looking for in an organization and teams that would be willing to pay him. If you wait till the off season, there's no leverage at all on his part because, boom, all they have to do is slap that tag on him and they control it 
and can basically force him, just like we saw with Jacobs and uh, Barkley, uh, to basically take you know a deal that's around the franchise tag or just a little bit more and not much more than that. Now, Mike, I'm not one for creating leverage if I were a player, but if if I was potentially going to be traded to the Dolphins, I would require that I'm only going to accept the trade and report if they go back to their old helmets instead of that newer Dolphin-looking <laughs> thing, right? Do, do you agree with me on that? I mean, I think it depends on how many, you know, what that what that price tag of that check might look like, you know. <laughs> You'll adjust. I, I like to wear the old Dolphins, you know, but say it's, you know, a pretty, pretty check, maybe you kind of look the other way. Oh, the little fella yeah. jumping through the hoop wearing a helmet? I mean, say, it's pretty awesome. Look, no income tax in Florida, so. That's true. That is true. <laughs> Man, exactly. it, goes, it goes longer. It goes farther. Well, Mike, I'll ask you this, too, and, and kind of pivot away from JT. When you look at – the way the um, quarterback market is sort of going, could we see a point where to sort of offset some of the running back discrepancies where we have a player who is tied to a percentage of the cap rather than the money? Or do you think that the owners would be like, no way, we would never, ever (laughs) uh, set it up like that? You know, I I don't think that we'll see that. But, you know, again, you just never know. I mean, who would have thought that we'd seen these quarterbacks getting the kind of money that they're, they're getting right now or, um, you know, even, you know, some of these pass rushers. So I don't know that you could totally rule it out, uh, but it just seems like that is a lot for an owner to, to wind up giving up um, in return to a player because we know uh, control is something that they still want to make sure that they uh, maintain. Yeah, I, I mean, I covered the NBA for a year. I feel like the NFL mops the floor with the NFLPA and the yep. things yep. that the owners get. But along those lines, do you think that there is a player out there not name Patrick Mahomes because he's already signed. Could Joe Burrow, for example, get a fully guaranteed deal? Um, I think that these owners are pretty much hell bent on not giving up. Um, you know, when Deshaun Watson got his deal, they basically <laughs> got together and was like, "Yo, we're not doing this again." Okay, um, you know. Now I think that the the amount will continue to go up. We saw it go up with Jalen Hurts, then Lamar Jackson, um, uh, Justin Herbert. I think Joe Burrow will will get closer to that fully guaranteed. I don't think that he will get that, um, you know. But if anybody can, he's the closest one to it. Him, you know, you said not name Mahomes. I think that Burrow's probably got the best shot. The column, if Jonathan Taylor gets his trade, other running backs will have blueprint to follow. The author is Mike Jones. The place you can find it is The Athletic. And Mike has been kind enough to join us today. Mike, appreciate it. And we'll let you get back to work in what's going to be a flurry of activity, I assume, here in the next couple hours. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. All right. Again, Mike Jones from The Athletic. Uh, Mike Chappell is going to join us coming up at 2 o'clock. And we'll get a full rundown of kind of where things stand on who might be in, who might be out. And Jimmy Cook, I know you've been pining for it. You've been longing for it. You've been blowing me up about it. We have an update on Charlie the Cat from yesterday. Yes. We have a Charlie the Cat update, and I'll give it to you on the other side. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Okay, so James, you weren't here yesterday. I'll get used to those eventually. You weren't here yesterday, James, right? I was not. So... It was around this time yesterday, was it not, Jimmy? Around 2 o'clock? Pretty close. When I got the following tweet, 
Jake, I just met your dad while I was looking for my cat. I started showing him old baseball photos, and he said he was your dad. I said I was listening right now, and he said, oh, yeah, he's on now. And I'm like, I had so many questions about this. The cat part befuddled me. The photos part befuddled me. The how he determined it was my dad befuddled me, right? So eventually, I believe his name was Joe. No, Ron. Sorry, Ron. Eventually, Ron called in the show to say that he has a cat. Apparently, Ron lives near my parents. And Ron, to track his cat, has a AirPod on the oh the air collar. thing no 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 no. No no, no 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 legitimately an airpod i thought the same an airpod one yes. of his two airpods he has put on his cat so that GPS when the, in those? you could still track them yeah, just yeah, like yeah. uh just like i didn't know that beats or whatever you i don't know how you set it up on your phone but there is a, a there is a find my airpods as long as it's registered phone. to your apple id it'll do that just pull up find my iphone you'll find your ipad your mac everything on there i see i don't know how to do that i I'll have to have you as my IT guy, Jimmy, because I, I one time thought it'd be cool to set that up for my AirPods in case I can't find them because I lose them every once in a while. And I have no idea. Like, I pull something up and it's like, <laughs> hey, congratulations, you can link this. And I'm like, well, how? But at any rate, I digress. So uh, the the cat, the the AirPod battery went started to, to blink. And so the guy wasn't sure where his cat was. So he's driving around a neighborhood looking for his cat and he sees a guy walking, which happens to be my dad. And he says, Hey, have you seen my cat? So my dad begins talking to this gentleman and the guy says, I noticed you were in a Cubs hat. Are you a sports fan? And my dad says something along the lines of, well, my son's a sports radio guy. So then now that connection's made. And then my dad says, well, you have baseball photos sitting in your passenger seat. And the guy says, yeah, I just came from like the flea market. And I was just out buying like, you know, 1968 Chicago Cubs pictures. And so my dad and this guy then start looking over photos together. All the while the cat is now there's like secondary, right? Like, like the cat's just doing whatever. <laughs> My understanding is what is going on? Totally right. <laughs> so, so then Ron is, and so he called in the show, and I said, "Well, d- so did you find the cat? Well, no, the cat's still missing." No, seriously, well, seriously. Yeah, he called in. He the show. He got distracted listening to the show, which I was worried about from the get go. Like, <laughs> right. what if he's listening and that distracts him further? So then he calls in the show to give us the update on all of this going on. While meanwhile, his cat is like drinking in Ravenswood. Right? Uh, I don't know what's going on. So. Ron has informed us. I, I asked a while ago for an update. I just simply said we need an update on Charlie the cat. Uh, Charlie the cat came back at ten o'clock last night. Right, he is all home, right, all safe right, and sound. Right. Charlie, Charlie was Charlie's living it up, hanging that out. He right? said, "Man, the weekend is taking too long to get here." Now, so he my, my, my mom, my mom does tell me that Charlie the cat apparently hangs out a lot in my parents' backyard, and I think my mom feeds him. Oh, so well, he knows my, where to go. Yeah, my mom probably and, and here's the thing I, this is this is clearly a familial issue because in 19 <laughs> when i was a kid when i was six years old my my dad's parents had a, we had a family reunion essentially okay in florida we had a family reunion and i was young so I, I i only recall bits and pieces but i do recall this james boyd and that is that a, a few geese kind of crashed it was like at a picnic area and a couple of geese and, and or birds were 
a nuisance, as they tend to be, a nuisance in the area. And my Aunt Phyllis, in her infinite wisdom, decided that she was going to shoo away the birds oh. by, and did so oh. by throwing bread at them. Oh. I'm going to throw bread to scare them away, she says. Well, I don't know if you know this or not, but birds instantly have, well, not only do they have, obviously, their friends carrier pigeons that can deliver messages, but they have every means possible to get a hold of everybody they've ever known to say, some lady's throwing out free food. And before you know it, the entire bird population of the state of Florida was at the Quarry family reunion. Um, How did you, she explain this to everyone? I mean, what, what do you even say? Oh, I didn't know. Like, she truly didn't I, know. That's I, tough. It's a tough one. Obviously, the tech wouldn't have been there for the time. And I don't really, I don't know if this is frowned upon or if I'm going to get PETA after me because of this. But here we are. Um, <laughs> geese will often populate. Uh, driving ranges or like holes like the tee box when you're getting set up if you're playing with your buddies and a friend of mine were out there a summer or two ago and just a bunch of geese and with their kids and everything if you get too close they're gonna snip at you like it's a hiss whole thing a hiss at you yeah so i played sounds that scare geese away and very briefly for like five seconds but like there's a chance that one of the sounds may or may not have been a hawk and they scattered and then I turned off the sound. Well, you know, like if you That's go out, on, smart. there are certain areas. Haven't you ever been walking around like in a downtown area and you're like, you hear a bird and it's because they play to your point, Jimmy, downtown here, like a monument circle, they have some of the buildings have speakers that play the sounds of different predatory birds to keep pigeons and things like Good. that at bay. That's what I did. Yeah. There you go. Did not now, know that though. Now I will tell you this though. I'm watching like the Animal Channel or something. <laughs> I, if I park my car in a in a, like a Kroger parking lot and there's one Canada goose, is that what you call them? Canada geese, whatever. Yeah. Well, I, don't, I don't know the singular thing. goose, plural right. geese. Yeah. If there's one of them hanging out, I will literally, I will literally circumvent three quarter mile out of the way just to avoid having to walk in the path of said bird. I don't blame you because those things are not kind you don't know if there is a nest they're, something nearby they're or also, if they're having a bad they're very day unpredictable i yes. haven't had any interactions like this with birds like y'all must just be you just carry bread in your pocket jake is that you're telling me about this no 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 that's my aunt phyllis i'm <laughs> telling you go to, predatory sounds is the way to go if, I, if i'm driving somewhere and i every once in a while these the, i don't know if you know this or not but these canada goose they just quite frankly you know they loiter right they're a nuisance <laughs> and and a lot of times they're just hanging out I don't know if they're drinking or what they're doing, but they just hang out, usually in packs. But every once in a while, you find a rogue one that's just hanging out by himself, and he's looking for trouble. The guy's looking for a fight is what he's doing. They're like goons. So when you get out of your car, you can't – don't be a hero. Don't go up and try to be nice, whatever else. They're looking for a fight. So you just have to turn around and act like you don't see them. That's the key. No eye contact. And, and go as far around the way as possible. And I guarantee you there are people right now listening in their car like, hey, man, I know exactly what you're talking about. I don't go near those things. Um, we do go near Mike Chapel, and he is here <laughs> in the fact that he is going to be joining us here at 2 o'clock. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. This is a fabulous song, by the way, from Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band. Mike Chappell and I have had conversations before about the Beatles. I don't know why, but Chappell strikes me as a guy that probably has played some Bob Seger in his car and or maybe even seen him in concert. What do you think, James? If we had to go, oh, yes or no, Mike Chappell has seen Bob Seger in concert in his life. I'm going to go yes. Okay, we'll find out exactly that and more from 
Mike Chappell of CBS4 and WXAN, who joins us now on the program. Uh, Chap, yes or no, you've seen Bob Seger in concert and or like his music? Winner, winner, chicken dinner. <laughs> yeah, I saw him when he, when he came here. He was in town. God, what's it been? Ten years ago, was I don't know. It, 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 Cambridge, I think it was. He was, uh, yeah. And w- one of the best CDs I've got is Nine Tonight, the live album. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a Seeger guy. I, I've got like five guys that I could have on my my memorial for my, my funeral, and he and the Beatles would share a lot of the time. Um, did you say and share or they share S H A R E? S H A R E. Okay. I didn't oh know if like Sonny and Cher's in there. <laughs> I got yeah. you, babe. No, I don't think so. Now, he looks like a share guy. What about Bruce Springsteen, chap? I, I I was never a big Springsteen guy, but I saw him two weeks ago in Wrigley Field, and it blew me away. I saw him here back in the day. Gosh, was it Market Square? Uh, awesome. He he just he just freaking wears you out with his energy. Uh, it's unbelievable. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a super I'm not a super fan, but yeah, for, for that. And then and then one another one. I saw Tina Turner at. Uh, Deer Creek at the time. First concert I saw was Tina Turner. Tina Turner opened for Lionel Richie. I was uh, 11 years old. And, like, Tina Turner actually is another one. Total energy, right? Like, just not – I mean, obviously the late Tina Turner. But, um, chap, two hours from right now, 4.01 p.m. Eastern time. Jonathan Taylor is or is not an Indianapolis Colt? I go back and forth. I'm saying not. I just just think they've reached – the, the point of no return with your relationship. And I, I realize people say things and then they kiss and make up. This just seems different. It just seems really, really personal where maybe he feels personally betrayed when the team decided not to extend him. But I, no, I just have a hard time. And we've talked to the press room. I have a hard time seeing him back here with all that's been said and done. And you just like you pick up and move on. It it seems like they've reached a point of no return, but I might be wrong. That that's just kind of from what I've talked to people about and, and heard, and the gut feeling that he's he's gone. It just makes it, it's hard to see him back here. Chap, I just want the opportunity to talk to him whenever he talks, whether it's here or somewhere else. So okay. if he does get traded, I will be asking the athletic, send me to wherever because I want to be at that <laughs> press conference because, you know, everyone's going to ask, oh, what does it mean to be here? No, I want to ask all the, you know, petty, right. you know, grimy, how did this really go down type of questions. But I will say this. And you oh, – go ahead, go ahead, Mike. And you won't get those answers. No. But, but I understand no. what you're saying. But – I was going to say the flip side to that is that if he does remain here and he comes off the physically unable to perform list and he has to talk to us, then you still might not get any answers, but you might get something a little more real if he has to have a mic in front of him and kind of stand there and be the model player. So all of that in mind, chap, how much do you think it matters to keep him around with Anthony Richardson? I know I kind of go back and forth with it. I understand the scheme aspect of it. You can kind of scheme up yards, but we know the rest of that running back room right now. How do they survive without JT? Well, they they, they will. I mean, I, you know, remember Ursa, what he said, which was correct but inappropriate. With If I die and he's gone, the league goes on. It's true, but you didn't need to add that. But, yeah, it, it's. I understand where people – 
so you can just kind of put a running back back there and the quarterback makes it work. But it's you can't tell me that the defenses are game planning the same way with Richardson and Taylor as opposed to Richardson and Zach Moss or Deion Jackson. It, they just won't. Uh, and again, I I've been around long enough to I remember what Marshall Falk's impact was with Peyton Manning as a rookie. Peyton called him the security blanket, and, and you know. Taylor's really more more of explosive back than, than Falk was. He's not near the complete player. But so yeah, I, I think it would have a major impact. But and again, I, I you just you just kind of wonder how where this thing changed to where a lot of us anticipated that Taylor would get his extension, and the team even kind of hinted at it and talked about it. And then there was a change. In the offseason, there was a change, whenever it was, April or May. And to me, that's when that's when Taylor really felt betrayed by the team and he changed agents. And, you know, you've written the quotes we got from him in April. Yeah. I put pen to paper, four years obligation and all this stuff. And, boy, we're, we're light years away from those quotes. I mean, back in January, Chris Ballard said – he's asked point blank. I think it was by Kevin Bowen here on – one seven five, the fan, and he said, "Is it, you know, smart to pay a running back top dollar?" And right. he said, "Yeah, you know, if you're a special player, yeah." So yes. everyone yes. has Something sort of changed. switched. Ch- yes, yes, it's. it's and wow. I understand that the surgery and all that, and but from everything that that we've heard, it was sort of just a routine, you know, as surgeries go, a routine thing. And he was supposed to be back in two to four weeks. And he, he even said. You know, I'm 100% ready to rock. This was like four days after surgery. So I, I just really think it it went off the rails when the Colts had a change of heart and they decided not to extend him. And then we've, we've just been there, how this has just kind of deteriorated to where we are. You know, and, and I've said this before, I, I thought the number one slap was when he went away from the team for a week to rehab. I, I I can't think of a time that the team has allowed a player to yeah go ahead go with your guys because our guys suck. Well, that's you just it, it's, it's just it's just never hardly ever done. That's why I just see it, it's hard it's hard for me to see him coming back here. And by the way, he hasn't passed his physical yet. So it, it's it's just one of the more complicated situations that I was just thinking. I'm just writing the story just to be prepared for a trade. This will be like the fourth running back. You know, premier running back that they that they've made a move with. Remember with Eric Dickerson and Marshall Falk and Edron and and now and now Taylor. So uh, it, it just shows you that at some point the team has to decide what's what's it worth to, to keep a running back around. All those guys were around longer. Dickerson was different because he was an odd bird. But this is three years. They got the kids twenty four. I really thought that extend name. I'm sort of surprised they haven't, and it's just shocking that they've got to this point. Chap, is there a chance? Mike Chappell's our guest here on Querying Company. Is there the chance that in the end, that Jonathan Taylor, if he does not play this year, and I know he's a wonderful player, is there a chance that it actually will be beneficial to the development of Anthony Richardson? Because the odds are 
that Anthony Richardson, once he is in his prime, is going to have a running back behind him that is not one of the top three to five running backs in the league. So the the earlier that he can learn how to play with defenses that are not focusing on that, the better off he's going to be in the long run. Yeah, you're in that car by yourself. I can't. I I can't go there because I I don't want to. I don't want to further stress my rookie quarterback, who by the way has played 13 games. I want to. I want him to have. Yeah, a, I don't think that's by design. I'm not saying they're designing it that way, but I'm saying, is there the chance that like five years from now we'll look back on it and go, you know what? That was even more baptism by fire for him, and and that helped his development. I, I, I don't think so. I, again, I, because I think this is just going to hurt his rookie year. So, so anything that, that impedes his rookie progress, I, I can't say that's helping him in five years. You know, I go back to, again. Manning only had fault for one year. Of course, then they transitioned to a, from one Hall of Famer to another Hall of Famer. I still don't think that if you've got a a quarterback. A Jalen Hurts type guy. I still don't think you just want to throw a bunch of rummies out there with him. You still want to have, you know, viable options. And I look at this. If we assume that Taylor's gone, I look at this running back room. If I keep track of all the the cuts, they've got three guys left: Zach Moss with a broken arm, and Deion Jackson, and Evan Hall, the rookie. So they'll, you know, they can very well add another guy. Yeah, I just don't. I understand that. Let's, let's get him used to not having a, a top-end player. Let's do that next year. Let, let, let's let him kind of get his feet on the ground and learn things w- with a really quality player next to him before we make it make that happen next year. I, I, I see what you're saying, but in this instance, I'd say let's, let's make it as easy for the quarterback as we can. Mike, have you heard of at this point – I mean, I know – and I'll be honest – you know, Mike Strawn, Amari Rogers. I, neither of those two really surprised me. Although I thought maybe there was a chance it was going to be one or the other, not necessarily both. I thought Rogers might have had a chance because he could do some special teams. But we know now, Mike Strawn, Amari Rogers, uh, Jake Funk. Those are three guys that I've definitively heard. But then again, we've been on the air for the last couple of hours. Uh, who else have you heard or are anticipating or going to hear their names today? Called in as bring your playbook. You're no longer a part of the team. Well, Joel Erickson at Star is doing a good job, but uh, what was it? Um, uh, Jake Funk, DJ Montgomery, Jason Huntley, uh, Ian Anderson. There, there's a handful of guys. I think I've got, I've got them down to maybe six receivers. I, I can't. I don't remember whether Vincent Smith has been released yet, cut yet. But I, I, I won't be shocked if they find a receiver on the waiver wire for that fifth guy. Uh, they certainly need to find an offensive line, interior offensive lineman or two on the waiver wire. This is this is not a strong roster. It just isn't. This is the bottom of this. This is one. I, I remember John Oger used to be Colts.com, and and he said that he was talking to a scout once on a bad team, and they're cutting, cutting, and and, he, and the guy, the scout, said, it's so hard to stop at fifty three. You know, you you, you want it you, before you know it, you're down to 48 <laughs> players. No, no, we have to have 53. Dang. So, yeah, but I do think they had three or four players by uh, waivers because they need help in two or three spots. Chap, how concerned should we be? I know we talked about the running back room, and that's obviously the biggest concern today and will remain that way until we get a resolution in the JT saga. But 
how concerned should we be about the wide receiver room and maybe the lack of pop they showed throughout the preseason? Yeah, but but that's nothing they can really address now. I mean, you're not going to bring in, you know, Devontae Adams or somebody. But no, I, I, I agree. And I, we were talking in camp, and I said if I were a fantasy guy, I'd be all over Alec Pierce because I would think this would be a really good situation for him because the quarterback likes to go deep and and they're going to take shots. And he just didn't deliver in, in games. What, did he have was it five or six targets and no catches and. You know, it was it was sort of a tough catch in Buffalo, but doggone, you you got to make that play because that's that's the best pass Richardson threw all camp. That was preseason. a bread basket. I could not hand uh, it off to you better than that dime. But and you got and you got to make them because you know, let's say you take five or six shots in a game, you, you got to hit three or four of them, and and they just didn't. Other than you know, they had a couple of grins, and yeah, I'm, I'm concerned with that because that that was a big problem last year. Although it was different, I mean, they just didn't have time or didn't have the arm talent to push the ball down the field. But, God, they averaged like 9.9 yards a, a catch. That's ridiculous. You can't play in today's NFL with that. Yes, that's concerned, but talent-wise, there's nothing you can do at this point. You just have to hope that Pittman gets a little bit more vertical with him and, and Pierce starts making catches. Mike, in and your – down, And Josh Downs. In your time covering the Colts, which is the entire time they've been here from Baltimore, what was the most shocking roster cut on cut day that you can recall? There, there's, I have one, and I don't remember if it was like on the actual final day, but one that was like, whoa, because there's always one or two guys, right? Yeah. Again, I'll date myself. I think it was back in 84 or 85, and, and I get the years mixed up, but Art Schleister started against Pittsburgh, and, and he was like, what was he, a top five pick and was supposed to be the guy and they got they got bounced 41 to three or whatever and in in rod dower i think he was dower he said he's going to be our quarterback unless there's a disaster and then he went there and got rolled and we're sitting in the media room and he said yeah we've signed georgia chica who's a defensive tackle and we've released our schleister we thought what what so the the, the that's probably one jumps out at me uh, just because it was their starting quarterback and all that stuff, but you may have one better than I have. Well, do you remember, and I don't remember when it was, as a matter of fact, chap, this guy might not have played a game for the Colts, and it was a, I think it was a substance abuse violation, but do you remember when Sean King, the defensive lineman, yeah. was a big signing? He played here. He, he, he played a couple of years here. Did, yeah. Okay. He was the one. Remember, he was a big signing, and then yeah, I think it was Pullian's first or second year, and all of a sudden, like the word got out that he was going to be suspended and was being cut. And yep, I mean, it was out of nowhere, right? He, he I'd have to go back. I thought he played a year or whatever here, and he was one of those guys that was was okay as long as he had the structure of the team around him, routine and all this. And he he went astray during free time the off season. Yeah, he was, and he was a good player. That, that's when you hate to see, see a guy fall to the side like that because he's a pretty good player. Uh, he he got tied up, I think, with with Tito Wooten when they went on a uh, road trip to the Giants or or the Jets, and they went to Atlantic City and all this stuff. It was really really crazy when it, when it, when, t- when players really did stupid things. But uh, normally, normally, Cut Day is not. Newsday because 
players kind of show who needs to be here and who doesn't need to be here. And, uh, you know, Strawn is, is sort of a name. But, boy, we've been waiting for him for three years. What was a Reggie called a Megastron? Yeah, he, he's, which, like the, he's like Roy Hall part duh, right? I couldn't believe yeah. that Reggie actually yeah. called him Megastron, though. That was yeah, completely – but, but he looks like it. He looks the part. Yeah. Well, but he just he, he made great catches in practice, and he never really made the consistent plays that you got to make. They going to keep five tight ends, Mike? Yeah, I, I had him keeping five, and Jelani Woods' situation might make sure you do that because his hamstring. I mean, he he missed so much time. Maybe you keep him active for fifty three, and if it's that bad, then you put him on pup. After you cut to fifty three, so that might that might force them to keep five. Although normally I can't remember the last time a team kept five tight ends, but Woods' situation might might make them do that. And they, and they don't want to, they don't want to lose Will Mallory. And if you cut him, wave him, somebody probably picks him up as a young project. So yeah, probably five. It seems to me that tight end is the one position. I mentioned this earlier. Mike, that tight end feels like the one position for the Colts that there is the least room from one to five in terms of, in other words, it's not there's not a huge gap one to five at that position in what they have. Each guy might bring something a little different, but in terms of their overall value, they've got five guys that I think are interchangeably pretty valuable to them. Yeah, and, and then the issue is with, with Mo, he's their best blocker, and if you get rid of him, then I guess it's Drew Ogletree being your blocker, and, and that, that's a lot to put on him. So, and, and Mo's been banged up. I can't remember if it was a foot or a hamstring. Ankle. Maybe a foot. Yeah. So, th- th- that's what it, – it's really an interesting group. But, boy, they, you know, Drew Ogletree missed a lot of time with, with the shoulder, I think it was. So, it's got to make evaluating that room difficult uh, – but they've got some interest. You know, Granton had a great, I thought, a great preseason, a great camp. Uh, but you need that blocking tight end. Man, it's funny, the further you get away from Jack Doyle, the more you miss him. Boy, he was good. He was he was so good. Uh, and you almost take him for granted unless you really knew what he did. I always said that he'll be one of the top. He and Gary Brackett are two of the, the guys that, that just maximized what they did here. You know, Jack Doyle gets waived by Tennessee. He gets two free agent contracts. here, made about, I don't know, $35, $40 million as just being a good, reliable player. So play, guys that get cut today, you just need to keep, you know, the Jack Doyle's in your mind because there is life, to have, there is life after cut day. And, you know, the thing about Doyle is – it seems to me, Chap, we look at tight ends and you think of, you know, Tony Gonzalez or, you know, I, I don't know, you, tight ends that are receivers, basically, right? And we forget the all-encompassing responsibilities of the position. And that takes me back to – because Jack Doyle was such a good blocker and he was such right. a good safety net, but, but in particular his blocking ability and his sacrifice ability. And I think that when it comes to Jonathan Taylor – He's a wonderful player. Do not get me wrong. But Todd Meyer, who we work with here, has made this point. I think it's a really good one. You know, Miami's trying to keep Tua healthy. Jonathan Taylor is not – if you look at Edron James, 
and I'm not saying Falk didn't do this, but I think Peyton Manning would tell you that the most valuable part of Edger and James, aside from being one hell of a running back, was he could pick up blitzes, he would throw his body yeah. in the way, he would block and protect his quarterback. And I don't know that – I'm not saying Jonathan Taylor doesn't want to do that, but it's not his style of play in a Miami for Tua or even here for a bigger-bodied Anthony Richardson who's theoretically durable. But I just think that, that we lose sight sometimes of the all-encompassing nature of positions beyond just the statistical part of it. I can think of two or three times last year on Thursday, I think it was when we talked to Taylor and James – Ask JT about, well, what happened on that blitz pickup kind of where you did nothing, where you whiffed on a guy and JT gave it. Oh, I need to look at the films. There was at least two, maybe three weeks when, when I remember James asked that and got stoned pretty well. So, yes. But that, that's not, his, that's not his, his forte. But, boy, you need to have a guy that can – Falk was really good. Falk was – he wasn't as good as Edron, but he was pretty good. But you, you need to have the running back who, who's not a great blocker, but a willing blocker and, you know, can occasionally do it. You can't have guys whiffing on blitz pickups because it gets your quarterback pounded. And, you know, maybe Richardson can avoid those like Ryan couldn't. But, yeah, that that's never has been and probably never will be one of Jonathan Taylor's strengths. Chap, when you look at this team and, and kind of using Jonathan Taylor – in a different way, they haven't extended anyone besides just him. They haven't given money to Pittman. They haven't given money to Grover Stewart. They haven't given money to Kenny Moore, who's in the contract year, Julian Blackman, any of these guys. So from an organizational standpoint, it does, at least in my mind, make sense to say, hey, we got a rookie quarterback in here. We don't want to do anything with our books, our cap space, until we figure out what's going on with that. Do you think that's a fair organizational approach to have and to justify or at least tell JT, hey, we're not paying anybody. It's not just you. Oh, I think it's very valid. You're right. And one thing that when we talked to Ballard when camp opened, and it was specifically about JT because he said, well, you know, injury, and we won four games. But then he also said these coaches haven't got their eyes on these guys yet. So I think it's very valid that, let, let's let this staff – I realize Gus Bradley's back, but let's let this staff really see what they've gotten. You know, maybe Shane Steichen doesn't doesn't really like this guy or that guy, and, and that's reflected in those things. I don't know. We're never going to know that. But I think that's very valid. The problem is you've got – in JT's mind, well, gosh, you've extended all these guys, and, I, and I've arguably done more than they have. I mean, he he had that that great season two years ago, and he was pretty good as a rookie. Pretty good as a rookie. Last year was different for a lot of reasons, but I, I think that's very valid that they're saying let's let's just let this thing play out, and then after the season, we're going to sort of see where we're at. Who do we think is semi long term? Which outside of the quarterback, long term is what four years, yeah, uh, or, or or so. So I think it's a very valid point, but it, it, as valid as it is. JT doesn't want to hear that. I, I think he, again, I think he heard for so long, and we all wrote for so long that this is when he gets his, because yeah. this is when they've always done that. But I think you're right. They're, they're saying, let's pause until we see what we've got moving forward. In hindsight, it's 2020. They paid all that money to Shaq Leonard, and it didn't really work out well so far. They paid yeah. a ton of money to Quentin Nelson last year. He went out and didn't have a great season. And so, and they're also two non 
premier positions in the NFL. Yep. And so from JT's perspective, it's like, hey, they got their money where it's mine. But from the Colts' right. perspective, they might be like, well, we made this mistake twice already. Let's not do it a third time with a running back, which is you know one of the most replaceable positions in the sport. So I find it interesting. I do think that neither side is wrong. But again, I mean, CBA, chap, the CBA, I don't know who signed this thing. I don't know why they agreed to a franchise tag to begin with way back in the day. But 30 years ago, I don't think they anticipated what it would be now. But my goodness, if JT could go back in time and it was like space exploration and things like that and wants yep. to go to the moon. But if he can go back in time, I'm sure he would like want to, you know, put hands on anybody who had the franchise tag well, <laughs> implemented. The, the, the players agreed to it. They I mean, did. They, and they, they did. Got, they got something, and players agreed to it. And whatever their whatever their prize was, whether it was benefits or whatever, they agreed to it. And, and the, 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 I think the issue is with the franchise tag. Owners were always going to stick with that. That, that makes sure that you don't lose a Mahomes or Josh Allen or somebody. They're, they're going to be your guy. And, and it was never really envisioned. I don't think that it would be a running back. But the franchise tag only impacts, what, I don't know, 12 players a year, maybe. So the rest of the league, all these other players say, I don't care about the franchise tag. I want to make sure I get this. And they allowed the franchise thing to live. So it's, it's, that's not going anywhere. It's, it's, that's not going to go anywhere because a team is not going to risk losing its best player because he wants to go to – New York or LA or whatever, they're always going to keep that franchise tag. It just depends on what they had to give up. So players go to war over that. And I still don't see players going over war to war over something that's going to impact so few players. Jeff, the Dolphins in the last hour or so uh, restructured the contract of one of the receivers, Cedric Wilson, gives them a little bit of cap flexibility. Do we read into that? Well, of course we do because <laughs> because that's what we do. Uh, yeah, and one thing that people have to keep in mind is I, I I didn't see what the Dolphins were cap space and all that, but you you can sign somebody into the cap. You make you make it work. I know somebody said well they're twenty four million over the cap next year. So what? They, they, they'll find a way. You find a way. You know Sean Payton in, in New Orleans they always were over the cap, and they always made it work. If you want to get a great player, you will make it work. You'll push money forward, whatever. But whenever whenever something is like that is done, of course you read into it. Well, they're, they're trying to, you know, pave way for, for Jonathan Taylor's new extension. So, But that's that's what we do. And, and that's one thing that I, I've said that's, that's unfortunate is we've not talked to JT since, uh, what June. has it been? June. And w- without his voice, we don't really know what he's thinking. I mean, we, we, we sort of infer and all that stuff, but failing him talking, you know, we only get like one side, and that's the Colts side, and that's unfortunate. Mike Chappell again, CBS4, and of course uh, Fox 59 joining us here on the program. Chap, uh, have fun the next 90 minutes, right? You can, you can <laughs> breathe easy here and throw on some Bob Seger in uh, like 94 minutes from now. I'll, I'll toss my CD in. I will do that. You guys do well. <laughs> All right, I appreciate it. Mike Chappell. Um, Pacers, by the way, one of their stars, Tyrese Halliburton, has been busy. He's been busy on the other side of the planet, which is why a lot of people may not realize that and the fact it's 
basically the offseason. But Tony East going to join us because it is of note what they um, – Halliburton's kind of turning some heads, I think. Um, not necessarily news to those of us who follow the Pacers, but it does appear to be um, that Tyrese Halliburton might be turning into exactly what Indiana had in mind for him, and I'm not talking about statistically. But I'll explain, and Tony East will join us next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Still here, vibing out in the DriveHewlett.com studio. I'm James Boyd alongside Jake Query, Jimmy Cook. You're listening to Query and Company. You like that, Jimmy? It rolled off the tongue that time. I'm getting used to it, man. I'm getting it's used to it. Sounds weird to me. I know. <laughs> Probably, yeah, because you're involved in it, I guess, a little bit more, and, the, and you've been saying the the other name for so long, but nevertheless, you're here, you're in person, we're having a great time, and now we've talked endlessly about the NFL, Jonathan Taylor, but I heard that there is, like, another player on another team in Indianapolis who's playing pretty well, at least he's not in Indianapolis right now, he's across the world, um, that's Tyrese Halliburton for Team USA, we're going to check in with Tony East, Pacers reporter for Sports Illustrated, he does a lot of other things as well. Tony, how you doing? I'm good. I'm busy. These games are at 4, 5, 6 in the morning, so it's a, it's a tiring time to keep up with Halliburton and, and co overseas. Well, I'll trade you. I'll take Halliburton. You take <laughs> John Taylor. Deal? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm good with waking up with <laughs> Tony, here's my thing with Tyrese Halliburton and what I think Tyrese Halliburton is doing right now, and I want your thoughts or opinion. The Pacers gave Tyrese Halliburton basically the supermax. He's going to make over $50 million a year by the time it's all said and done. And that's a ton of money, no doubt about it. And he's a promising player who statistically does a lot of great things. But in addition to that, I feel like the Pacers were mortgaging on the fact that Tyrese Halliburton perhaps might become their first transcendent star that has the capability to be able to go out and get other players to contemplate coming to play with him. And when I look at what he is doing for Team USA, a lot of what he is doing is actually making other guys for Team USA on the floor uh, highlight reels. And that's the kind of thing that I think intrigues Indiana because perhaps they would say to themselves, I can play with this dude. Fact or fiction? I think that's a fact for sure. I mean, he even joked at his camp about recruiting with Team USA, what that would look like for him. And, you know, I thought it was a joke with Team USA, but it's, it's a real thing, right? Like, it's been said this offseason with this Damian Lillard trade request out of Portland that part of, at least, his affinity for Miami is playing with Bam Adebayo. And they became close playing for Team USA together before during the Tokyo Olympics a few years ago, right? Like, it is a thing that players form a bond and a relationship for this team, and it's all stars. Even this USA team that isn't an Olympic-caliber team is – all-star level players. So I do think there's something to that, and I think the Pacers do have some level of hope that he can be the guy to actually be that recruiter. They've kind of alluded to that before as well, but people will want to play with him if he can, not even just the highlight stuff. Like, that's obviously been super fun and appealing to just see guys get dunks and free buckets because of him. That Austin Reese photo of the steal to dunk at the end of their first game was, was already blown up a little bit, but, you know, just – getting open shots and getting opportunities to score easily. Like how many guys had career years for the Pacers last year playing with them? I think that will be attractive to guys and potentially their wallets too. So 
it's not even necessarily just his personality and ability to recruit. It's like his basketball persona and style is just really ideal to play with if you're a free agent looking for somewhere to go. Tony, how have you seen Tyrese's game evolve throughout FIBA play? We know it's more physical. The lane's a little more restricted. You can obviously knock the ball off the rim, those sorts of things. And how do you think, in addition to the, that translation or, or to the FIBA game, um, he's embraced that bench role? Yeah, I was curious how he would play. Like he mentioned beforehand that he was looking forward to playing alongside other guards, like to, to be off ball a little bit, because for all these guys, or at least most of them, they're the guy for their team, right? So they have the ball all the time. They're not used to being off ball. So Hal Burton said that, you know, playing with Brunson and Reeves and whatever other guard may be out there at the time, Anthony Edwards, like he'll have to be off ball a little bit more and how he would evolve doing that. And because he can shoot so well, right, he's hit, it's only been two games, but he's hit half his threes in the competition so far, right? Like that's going to be something he's always going to be good at. But how else, what else would that mean for his game? Well, so far it's been, uh, he'll still have the ball a lot. <laughs> Steve Kerr's like, no, we should still run through this guy. When he's out there, he has it. He's hitting ahead. He's pushing. He's playing point guard. So he has done a little bit more off the ball, especially when Anthony Edwards is in there because he's been playing so well. And I think that's like needed development that could help him with the Pacers. That's been encouraging to see. But in terms of the FIBA game itself and what that's meant for him, I think it's been more defensively seeing what he's doing on that end because it's so much more physical, right, of a style of play, just the way that these teams are built, the way that these rosters try to hit you hard. Like New Zealand's strategy was literally to hit USA hard. Like they were fouling extra hard basically intentionally, and um, Halliburton's taking that and stride, especially on the defensive. And he's looked, he's had, he had three steals in the first game, three blocks in our last game. He's defended really well. I've had a lot of people even comment to me about the way he's defended. So, to me, the, the off-ball part of his game has been the most team-focused improvement that the Pacers like to see. But in terms of a FIBA perspective, the physical nature of the game has not shaken him at all. If anything, it's made him a little better. Now, New Zealand, when they played them, do they, do they still do the – I forget what it's called. The the dance, the you know. They did the haka, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you know, actually, Tony, here's a, a little fun fact for you that really only I care about. But um, <laughs> years ago, when the World Basketball Championships were in Indianapolis, I think it was 2002. Uh, New Zealand. I was working at Channel Six at the time, and TV One in New Zealand called randomly and said, look, we're looking for somebody that can freelance and be a reporter for us to cover the New Zealand team. And they had Kirk Penny was on that team and. Um, I can't remember the center that later became in the front office for the Miami Heat was on that team. And, and New Zealand became like the Cinderella story. Uh, Sean Marks, that's who was on that team. Um, they became the Cinderella story, and I was doing live shots for TV One in New Zealand at like 8 p.m. or something because it was like 6 in the morning over there. And, and they gave me a little shirt and everything. So I actually have – maybe tomorrow I'll wear it. I have a TV New Zealand uh, staff shirt that's only 21 years old that made the cut of my great purge a few years ago. How about that? That's got to be one of that's got to be one of the most rare shirts you own, right? Uh, it's awesome. I mean, it, like it's it, it literally is. First off, it's totally gaudy. Um, it, all of the sports teams in New Zealand, their colors are black and white. The soccer team yeah. there is, or the I'm sorry, the rugby team is the all blacks. So the basketball team is the tall blacks, and the shirt is all black, and it just says TVNZ on it, and then it's got some weird, um, like New Zealand floral print all over it. It's it's really it's pretty badass to be honest with you. It is like the hockey's so cool. Like I've seen it in rugby before, and like how big of a deal it is. I didn't realize it was every sport that did it before games. If you haven't seen it, look it up. It's it's 
I, I know that USA talent gap is so big that they probably were like kind of rolling their eyes, but it is a little intimidating. I can't, I can't lie. Yeah, Tony, um, I'm going to ask you if I can make it to another Fever game before the season is over to do it for me in person so I can get the full effect. <laughs> You've never seen it? I've seen it, but it's, I, just, I, I don't believe want Tony it's, to do it. So the, it's pronounced the Hakka, right? Yeah, I think so. So I believe that that is like an indigenous, like, tribal thing like dance or chant well that in that is case Tony don't do it don't years, do it right? I don't want to get you canceled um, but it is pretty like it's pretty awesome to be honest with you it is it is um, it is it's, it, it, it actually cut into I was reading about how it cut into Team USA's warm up time they had to clear the court for them to do it yeah, no, they they take up the whole court and they do. It's like a, I'm trying to think of what it looks like. It's kind of like a, um, if you go into it, like the, the neon cactus in Lafayette on line dancing night, it's similar to that, right? <laughs> it's just it's just uh, more no, of like an yeah. aboriginal version thereof, right? Um, uh, yeah, sure. Hey, yeah. Has, has, to, to kind of go back and piggyback off what you were talking about, though, Tony, because you've been watching these games, and, and I know you touched on it there, but to, to further go on with that, what area, if any, has Tyrese Halliburton most shown his hand in terms of a skill set that he has not necessarily been using as a pacer player? Does that make sense, what I'm asking? Yeah, because, you know, at first that's kind of what I was, was wondering is how will he show, like, a different game? And then right away I was like, oh, he's playing the exact same, right? Like, he led them in assists in their, like, exhibitions leading up to the World Cup, and he was hitting threes and then – you know, the clip's gone viral a little bit, I guess. Viral might be a stretch. But, you know, New Zealand, they had a huddle uh, when they were playing USA in that first game. And their coach is screaming at the team, Halberton's in, Halberton's in, right? Like, they've got to be ready for him to just throw these passes the second he catches the ball and get guys open. So, it has. I, I thought it would be more different because of what he said, where he's like, you know, I'll have to play with other guards and do all this stuff. But, really, he has been the initiator. I think the difference has been he ha- doesn't have to shoot as much, right? With the Pacers, him creating his own shot was sometimes their most efficient offense. That's not the case with Team USA, and I think he knows it. So he's definitely looking to defer a little more than he does does with the Pacers. Uh, you know, you've seen Austin Reeves, Cam Johnson, Paolo Bancaro shine playing with him with that second unit. That group has just destroyed everybody. So I guess that would be the biggest difference: is that when he if he plays with another star player who can score efficiently, he can defer and make that player look much better, which I think we, we knew a little bit, but we can't confirm it just because there's nobody with the Pacers at that level. And I think the defensive thing has been the biggest growth or change to me, at least. Like he told us at the draft lottery before Team USA that he added some weight. He bulked up a little bit so he could defend a little better. And I think you've seen that in these games already. Tyrese, I'm not, not Tyrese, I'm sorry, Tony. <laughs> when it comes to Tyrese, <laughs> two T's, um, the one thing I want to know, and I need you to ask him when he gets back here from overseas is, when I think of bench players on Team USA, I think of Bald D. Wade. Bald D. Wade was amazing. Bald D. Wade was unbelievable. So does Tyrese, to take that next step, need to go bald? I shake it. Well, was that the 2008 Olympics where Wade led them in scoring yep. with, with no hair? Yeah, that was something. Uh, speaking of Wade, too, that story of Anthony Edwards cracks me up where they were telling <laughs> yeah. him to, to come off the bench because D. Wade did behind Kobe, and Anthony Edwards was like, okay, where, where's Kobe? I don't think he's on the team. I uh, – I think I should start, and that certainly has been the right choice by Team USA. Yeah, the bench thing for Halbert has been interesting. I don't know what you guys think about him coming in behind Brunson because I know that's been a big topic of discussion amongst fans is who's better, who's worse, what does it mean? But to me, that unit is perfect for him. Like, they play so fast, he can set everybody up, and that's where USA's big advantage is. Like, most of these teams have one, two, three NBA players, right? So their starting lineup is at least good or capable of, of keeping up to some extent. But then the second unit is where – 
Team USA has another group of five NBA players, and their opponent doesn't at all. And that's where they've been blitzing everybody, and Halburn's been a big part of that. So I think it's, it's despite it, you know, some fans thinking he should be starting over Brunson, I think it's perfect for him, and he's looked way better in that situation. So they play Jordan tomorrow morning, I believe. It's like 4.40 or something like that? 4.40 a.m. Yeah, it's really early. I will not be up for that, but I'll take your word for it and read whatever you write about it. But obviously that's not a game that they're going to be worried about just because of the talent discrepancy. The country or the guy? I wouldn't care if it's one Jordan out there. He's getting smoked. So, <laughs> like, I understand he's the GOAT, but come on now. But I will say this. What is a team? We saw them say Spain in an exhibition game, gave them some some, some go. Um, I believe it was Germany that also had some go against them. What team could knock them off of that Team USA gold is only what you can settle for mantle? Yeah, they were down – 17 points to Germany in the third quarter, right? That, the Germany is so physical and tough, and I've been watching a little more of them because Pacers center Daniel Tice has been playing for them throughout this World Cup, but they just beat people up, man. It's, and and they're, they're huge, and Dennis Schroeder's so fast with the ball. I don't think they're quite a contender. They got third in Eurobasket alone last year, and uh, so now you add in all the rest of the world. I don't know if they're quite a – they could medal. They're definitely good enough. I would think the contenders to actually beat Team USA – yeah, one would be Spain, who you mentioned. They played USA pretty tough in that, that exhibition, although that was a true road game for USA. It was actually in Spain, and there's been some funny coverage of that game where, like, the refs were all Spanish, and they honored one of the refs at halftime of the game because it was his last game he was officiating on. So who knows how um, how correctly that game was called. But they're solid. I think the team that everybody's going to correctly say is the biggest threat, though, is Canada. Right? They – just swept their group 3-0. They won their three games by a combined 111 points, right? They absolutely dominated in their group play. And Shea Gilgis-Alexander just looks unbelievable. I mean, there, there's an argument to be made. I don't think it's right, but there is an argument to be made that Shea is the best player in the entire tournament. And Canada can throw out, I believe, seven NBA players and produce Zach Eady. Uh, for those of you who don't know, he is playing for Canada in this tournament. So they're loaded. They're probably the biggest threat especially in a best-of-one style knockout to beat Team USA. Luka Doncic just playing for Slovenia. They'll be solid as well. So there are some good teams in the tournament that could certainly beat them, right? Last, the last World Cup team, Miles Turner was on it. They got seventh, right? That's not a shoe-in ever. But I think USA is the best team, but Canada certainly to me looks like Do the you get on the podium now. for seventh? On they the podium not, for seventh? Is there a podium? I don't think so, but they play all those extra rounds because – Top seven makes the Olympics, so they had to play out oh. all those games to clinch it to make it. Yeah, it was, so it's like ma- significant that they got seven instead of eight. So it's like win it for the team you're not going to be a part of in a few years because yeah, that's right. That's that's interesting. <laughs> hey Tony, give me the player on the Pacers roster right now that is watching um, maybe new wrinkles to Tyrese Halliburton's game and is excited by it because they will most benefit once the the NBA season begins. Uh, the lazy answer to me has got to be Obi Toppin, who has not ever had a passer of that caliber in his career and will finally have the minutes to go along with it. I mean, Toppin has taken certain steps forward throughout his career, right? Better finisher every year. The shot grew last year, but didn't get to play much. And when he did, he was playing with either, you know, a good Knicks team, but not like high-level passers, or with lineups that didn't have any space right next to Julius Randle or next to Taj Gibson or next to Mitchell Robinson. So playing with, with Halliburton, certainly who can throw him open and get him the ball in advantageous situations and in a more spaced out lineup that is going to play so fast this season, or at least they're going to try to get into their stuff early. I think that's going to be perfect for him. They've already been working out together a little bit. Obviously they've played in that pro end together. 
I think he's got to be the guy who, especially given the, the first three years of his career, is the most excited for what Tyrese Halliburton can do for him. Well, Tony, when you're setting the alarm to get up early and watch these games, have fun with it. Those days are long gone for me, buddy. <laughs> Thank you very much. I might skip the Jordan game because USA has already clinched round two, but after that, early the rest of the way. I would think the Jordan game, they, they, they've got to be wearing Jordans, right? <laughs> Isn't that, I mean, Jordan, the Jordan brand's got to be their official clother, does it not? I don't know. We've got to figure out what Jordan's reach is. Well, Tony, wake up early and tell me So about that. Wouldn't it be odd if Jordan's okay. wearing Adidas? I mean, that seems oh, like totally God. counterproductive. <laughs> Tony, appreciate it. I'm just saying, yeah, like, uh, you know, I'm not – hey, I ain't no marketing genius, but that seems to be a natural fit, right? That, that Jordan should be wearing Team – like – What's the name? Is it not? It's Jordan Brand, right? I mean, it's yeah, but it's also like the Detroit Pistons have Jordan Brand jerseys, which seems sacrilegious nowadays. I totally agree with that. The the Pacers have Jordan jerseys, and you, I could, I feel like Reggie Miller still alive, but would roll over in his grave eventually if he ever found that out. He would simply spin on a bad ankle. That's what he would do. <laughs> uh, we'll come back and put a bow tie on all of it, and let you know of any latest Colts news. It is Quarian Company here, ninety three five one zero seven five. The fan. It was. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. It was a week ago tomorrow when I was at Guaranteed Rate Field for the Chicago White Sox-Seattle Mariners game. Sat in left field, as a matter of fact. Uh, it was like 104 degrees. It wasn't the 107 that Apple told us it's going to be in Indianapolis next week. Uh, but... Nothing super exciting took place, but then James, a couple of days after that, big news with the White Sox, right? Yeah, Peggy Kuzinski, who covers the White Sox for ESPN, said that all of this happened because a woman reportedly well, snuck. This was, for those that are not familiar, oh, there was, sorry. A, there was a shooting. Up. Yes, uh, I believe it was on Friday, maybe, but there was a shooting at the White Sox game yes. where two people were hit by a bullet. Uh, I don't believe either was in. Uh, very, I, I mean, obviously getting hit by a bullet, but not life-threatening, but a shooting nonetheless where two people were hit by a bullet and they didn't know whether the shooting could take place initially outside the stadium or inside, right. so now give me the latest. It turns out that one of the women who was grazed by the bullet reportedly snuck the gun in past metal detectors, hiding it in the folds of her belly fat. That is not a joke. Okay, now I have a que- I have a question here. Um. I, I, I get that that if you are hiding it in your in the rolls of your fat, that 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 you wouldn't see the gun. But wouldn't a metal detector does does fat block? I have so many questions. Seriously, uh, how like, how like if you have like people that have metal inside of them from surgeries, right? It'll set up a metal detector, right? So clearly, so how much fat are we talking here? And then. I mean, how janky are these metal detectors? Seriously. That's what I mean. I mean, is it like just some high school setup and you... Well, you oh, know, yeah. the, the little wand things that look like they might have gotten a showbiz pizza for 80 tickets. Like, <laughs> okay, go ahead on it. I mean, I, we went through a metal detector to, to get in when I went to the game, but... Well, I'm glad you weren't hiding anything in the rolls of your belly fat. Yeah, that is not good. By the way, the Miami Dolphins today have freed up... Uh, reportedly freed up $4.2 million in cap space for the 2023 season. That is uh, approximately hundred grand short of Jonathan Taylor's salary. So does that mean, do we read into that is the question? 
I don't read into anything. I just wait for whatever happens and then put out the version of the story I wrote that is actually reality. So John's up next. The question is... I want to know what we're reading into. Hold on a second. Hold on. Question is, John, are so, you going to have breaking news here in, oh, yeah, we will, if you sure. had to... Oh, yeah. We're going to move into the pub, aren't they? Come on now. That's what I or think. I think the pub, not move him to the pub. An hour from now, when you're on the We're air, pumping. you're going to be talking about what? <laughs> <laughs> I think he's going to be on 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 the pup list and miss four games. Re repupping. I think he's still going to be still going to be a cult, is my opinion. Yeah. On the pup list. Yes. Final answer. So about four o'clock. Lock it in. Repupped. So they're not rehoming the pup, is what you're telling me. Okay, so make sure. <laughs> so the news of today, you know, Amari Rogers, Mike Strawn, those are the big stories so far, James. Anybody else that, that has jumped out at you or anything that has come across your phone here in the last three hours? Nothing. I've been checking it like crazy to make sure I'm not missing anything. But I will say, Mo Alley Cox, does he make it, JMV? Yeah, because uh, Jelani Woods has got that hamstring. All right. Hey, another man's uh, injury, another man's fortune. So, yeah. So then the question becomes, John, does Moali Cox stay on the roster? Like once Jelani Woods is is good to go, do well, they keep then, it or do they create? Uh, then by that time, some other tight ends. This is the right. Colts. You're some right. other tight ends going to be injured. So yeah, you're right. Yeah. I saw that the Capital Improvement Board apparently is getting a bunch of new funds for new turf out there. Okay. Eventually, at Lucas Oil, yeah. Well, I don't know if that's the. It came from JMV. He's got. I did new yeah. turf for me. Yeah, he's yeah. got that kind what of pull. Uh, and that I don't know the, the new field turf of some sort. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, that's beautiful. Jv no sponsored idea. it. He paid for it. He's got he's got money like that. What do you got coming up uh, here over the next couple and of I hours, John? Have the foggiest idea here. <laughs> we'll figure it out about two fifty seven. You and I have that in common, right? We do, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> I, I have no idea what we did for the last three hours, let alone what you're going to do, yeah, right? No doubt. Well, so. nonetheless, that well-oiled machine is next. Jmv is up next. We will be back at you again tomorrow. John, have fun with it for the next couple of hours. Stay right here for all of the latest Colts news with John next.